This episode of the Inside Running Podcast is brought to you by Pillar Performance, Australia's first clinical sports micronutrition brand. Available now at selected pharmacies, including Terry White, Kenmart, specialty sports nutrition stores, and online at pillarperformance.com.au. Episode number 205 of the Inside Running Podcast. Thank you for joining us for another week. Bit to talk about this week. We've got the London Marathon to recap. Steve Monaghetti is going to be joining us again to talk about his experiences at the London Marathon. Some Patreon supporters to thank. Listen to question. Moose on the loose purchase of the week. And um, yeah, we'll hear about our training weeks from the last week. Welcome to my co-host up in Canberra, Bradley Croker. Welcome to the show. Thanks, mate. How are you? I'm good, thanks. First day back at school today, though, Brad. So you know that first day of the term just knocks you around a bit, getting back in the swing of things. Ah, no, no public holiday for you down there. No. Do you guys have yeah. one up there after the yeah, NRL? No, it's like labor. It's like Labor Day public holiday. So schools schools go back tomorrow um, for us because of uh, yeah, because it was public holiday today. Does that happen every year when the grand final's on? Oh, it's generally that weekend. Yeah. yeah, I was wondering why they had it on a Sunday night if everyone had to go to work on the Monday. Mm. You've just why, answered my why do question. We have it, why do we have it in a different time if it's the same public holiday? Labor Day. Yeah. Oh, don't you have it in March, Crooks? Well, you don't get two of them. Uh, we have a, I think we have like a Canberra Day. We have a Canberra Day long weekend yeah. in March. <laughs> yeah. we have, I think we get a few extra uh, long weekends or public holidays in Canberra. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that'd be right. Public <laughs> sector. Yep. Pretty much. Public servant life. Yeah. A couple of four-day working weeks sounds pretty good. Welcome to my other co-host down in Anglesey, the new father, Julian Spence. Congratulations to you and Bree. Welcome to this week's episode. Thank you. Thanks Congrats, a lot. Congrats, Moose. Cheers. How much has your life changed in the last uh, 24, 48 hours? Um, well, significantly, yeah. obviously. The, the whole sort of, the whole purpose of your being turns from being a husband and a and a runner <laughs> to to being a father and a husband and and the running thing just isn't very significant anymore uh, is it no. well initially you're just like well that doesn't seem very like it doesn't seem like it matters i'm sure that feeling will come back but at the moment it's like all right what the, like what can i do to to initially provide for those two other more important things mm. Yeah, it's a very strange first couple, first couple of days, that's for sure. Tell us, um, tell us some names, some weights. When did it all happen? Um, yeah, so her name, baby girl, is Pia 
Clementine, and it happened yesterday, Sunday, the 3rd of October at 12.30. She weighs 3.645 and is 51 centimetres long. The the way it went down was Saturday morning, we, um, Brie had some signs and sort of said, hey, I think this is the, I think this is happening, and um, made the phone call to the the outpatients or whatever, oh no, the, the, like the birthing suite area, the maternity ward, and they said, yep, it's happening, come on in. And she was, Brie was induced. She had sort of some things that made her, or that that um, made it necessary to induce her early. So she, she was induced and then sort of not much happened for a while. And, and then all of a sudden, Saturday night, sort of when it got dark, she she started to get some pretty serious contra- contractions and then um so i'd say it was about oh, 12 hours of pretty intense sort of going ons in there um went very quickly lots of new fi- i learned lots of new stuff to be honest um <laughs> and then yeah twelve thirty came and it was like just the most climatic emotional surprising relieving like exhausting experience that i've ever had by far um just you, the you didn't know it was a girl did you you no that, so that, that was, was like, a surprise as well yeah oh that was wild like oh that when it came out and it was it was like difficult and it got to one more time before like it got to a point where where the, the doctor was like okay like we need to do this other thing now, and Bree said, "No, one more. Give me one more go." And then that last go, she's like, pushed it, and it came out, and and um, and all of a sudden it was like on her on her chest, and oh god, it was just it was it was crazy. It was the wildest thing I've ever done, and um, yeah, just just pretty significant moment in your life. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's really uh, life-changing. It's hard to kind of summarise in words, isn't it? How much, yeah, I don't know. I was thinking about it on my run tonight. Yeah, like you can't, you you cannot accurately nail like the emotion, the emotional sort of roller coaster through the last few hours. And and when it, like when it goes bang, when it it sort of hits that that five-minute period between when it comes out to on the chest and then like celebrating and um, that's... There's no way you can put that to words, no matter how many times you get told how significant it is and how special it is. You'll never know until you do it. And but, it's, hard, yeah. it's hard as well, Moose, because, like, you can't do a lot other than be there to support. And you're watching somebody that you love go through all mm. of this pain. And you're like, what can I do? I can't really do anything other than just be here. Do you, and, um, and you just want everything to be safe. That's right. You want everyone – yeah, and I was thinking about it on my run tonight because – Throughout the experience, I couldn't help but compare it to, to like, <laughs> uh, like a race. I just couldn't help but do it and, like, the different stages. And, and you have to eat and drink through it, like, when you don't feel like it. And, um, Did you put signs up for her? Yeah. <laughs> I just couldn't help. You, you, you do you. And at the, very end, at the very end, I'm like, when the pushing's going on and everything, I'm like, this – this feels kind of familiar. Like you're you're so out of control. Like you can't control anything, and you can't really help the person. But you don't fully know what to say. It's like the back end of a marathon when 
everything's going crazy and the person's sort of in all this hurt and you're like, come on, you're doing really good. <laughs> like, what what else do I say? <laughs> uh, but And then I was running tonight. I'm like, to, to explain it to a runner would be the hardest marathon you've ever done and for the, except for two dif- main differences. There's no way you can slow down to make it hurt less or quit. That option is not there. And the second hardest thing is you don't know where the finish line is. So all this pain could be going on for five minutes more or it be, could, could go for five, ten hours more. And, and that, if you, were, if you took someone at the 40K mark of a marathon and said, take away those two factors, like the, the fact that they could s- slow down or stop to make it hurt less, or the finish line aspect, take that away, knowing that it only goes for two more K, they would, they would, they would be like, no, that's impossible. Fuck that. I'm never doing that. Um, and, <laughs> and that's how it felt on the day too. Like it, it, it felt like there was no ending or you couldn't really see the ending um, because you just don't know when it's coming. The unpredictability of it was really difficult for both of us. And now um, everyone's home. First night at home tonight. You just got on a podcast. Yeah. Just helping around the house. To be honest, like all credit to the people in the uh, in the birthing suite, but I needed a rest after that. I, I nearly delivered that baby on my own, Brad. <laughs> you said you didn't help that much. But I played a leading role in that room, and I was really tired from it. Um, I was, there were a few more people that were more tired. Than, I don't know how those girls do it day in, day night. Like, that's, that job must be so mentally um, draining to be able to, to go through that and just be part of such an uh, explosive type environment day, like every day. Oh, wow. They're just amazing though, aren't they? It's a certain personality. They're to be always able to do so that calm job. and then mm. you see them again the next day when they come in and then they change shifts and they're like all just like 10 out of 10 yeah. kind of workers. doesn't matter which we, one you get. You go, we, I think we went through five five or six midwives and uh, you can see the young ones that are like real happy and they're super energetic and positive and they're really uh, calming, like you said. And, and then... Then there's the older ladies who are just like the bosses mm. who come in and they they skip all the pleasantries and they're like, do this, do this, do this. Yeah, I'm coming. I'll come back in ten minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh yeah, you need a few of them around too. And then they send you home and you're just like, okay, I've just lost all you guys helping me. What am I meant to do now? Yeah, and that's when you chuck the kid in the yeah. snoo croaks and just switch off. Yeah, snoo's already playing, that's, singing uh, lullabies and tied up tonight. I'm sure. Snooze there. Uh, yeah, no, it's good. There was. I thought I was really interested in the whole process of, like the the. I feel like there's a real art or natural aspect to childbirth, um, and it, there's almost a bit of conflict with the science element and the the medical element. Um, you can see it. You can see it like come into conflict a few times throughout the experience uh it's it's sometimes the machines that are hanging around monitoring took over and like i'm like oh you guys are paying so much attention to the screens and the monitors and like the actual mother when the baby is just there like these screens and monitors weren't around like a hundred years ago surely like the care is on the mother, not pressing buttons on the screen. And it was just like the heart rate dropped out. 
like the pulse rate dropped out from the baby a few times and it was these like i'm like yeah we get that all the time with running <laughs> don't what like that doesn't mean that the baby like these are the same sort of monitors it looks like um, what about it would have happened to brie as well like the day afterwards when or if they still got you on that heart rate one and because she's fit it automatically like drops below say it goes below like 60 or 50 or whatever they got to set at and it just keeps beeping so then the nurses yeah. have to come in and know what's and they're like what's happening it's like no, <laughs> she's just she's just fit but it just yeah, constantly yeah, yeah. keeps going off yeah <laughs> no we didn't have that but i could imagine i was like looking at the monitors i'm like oh resting heart rate what are we at brie yeah. is this good help yeah. it <laughs> is this baby fit? Yeah. <laughs> yeah that uh, was a good day that's that's yeah. You sound different already. He's going a bit softer, I reckon, Croaks. Very very mellow, isn't he? Isn't he? Yeah. I'm not softer. I'm, I'm I've already yelled at the baby three times. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Croaks, you take us through your run a week, kick things off. You had a big one, nearly 130k. Yeah, with a day off. Ooh, um, probably. So you yeah, put that in there, Moose. Yeah, well, no, it's probably the fact that it was, it was probably too much for what I've been doing, and it was very much. Uh, back end loaded so by yesterday afternoon I was pretty knackered um, but anyway I'll start with Monday so after we did the um, the monitor chat Brady I got out for a run around lunchtime um, before I had my Pfizer shot so I just ran um, drove about 3k from home and, and did a lap around this pond and then finished at the synthetic ovals so it was 10 and a half k 420s it wasn't it was probably my least enjoyable run for the week I, I just didn't do enough sort of activation um before i went i pretty much finished with mona and then headed down there and just when i don't when i don't do activation or loosen off my back before i start i, I do get a little bit of that sort of glute glute pain um did, did a few drills and strides afterwards and felt much better uh yeah had my jab that afternoon and then i wanted to try and break the cycle of doing everything in the afternoon so I spent a fair bit of time on the Tuesday morning um, with like heat pack, uh, massage gun, doing my exercises and yeah, went out to Mulligans and actually felt really good. Had no, like no pain, felt like I was moving pretty well. Listened to the podcast that you spoke about last week, Brady, the Academy of Imperfection with Ben Crow. Um, so that sort of made the hour go by pretty quickly. They're good at so talking, was, aren't they? Good conversationalists. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was good. It was nice, easy, easy to listen to. Um, yeah, before I knew it, the hour was up, so it was 4.16s. Uh, and then I did a double. Um, so I went out again in the afternoon because I just wanted to see whether having done something in the morning and having you know loosened everything off, how I would feel. And I felt like amazing. Um, like best run I've had in... Who knows how long, but just felt like my hips were high. Cadence was good. Um, yeah, so I just did seven, just over 7K at 421s, um, but I was really happy with that. Then it's, that night I – Oh, sorry. That, can I just yeah, butt in for a second? It's interesting. Yeah. You, like you say how enjoyable the morning was and then how it's the best you felt in the afternoon, but mm. you still averaged for you. Like if I hear that you're saying it's the best your body's felt, I'm expecting like 402s, but you're still pretty disciplined and kind of like 421 average. Yeah, I um I put the heart rate on for that one, okay. and um, I started I started running and I, like I felt so good. I started to then you know the, you know the hill the first hill we run up. Yep. I started sort of like you know running sort of four fifteens up the hill. I'm like oh, and looked down at the heart rate. I'm like all right, <laughs> just just settle down. So I, I then just dialed it back to like low low one thirties. Yeah, um, so that's why it was to one fifty. 
Yeah, so that's why it was 421s, but I felt very good running. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, but then that night I started to just feel a bit crap. I'm not sure whether it was the, the injection or not, but um, the the lymph nodes in my armpits were quite like swollen and sore and I had a headache and didn't have a great night's sleep. And then I woke up and it was like a bucketed down rain all day on Wednesday. And I just thought to myself, like, you're feeling sick. You had the injection, what, two days, like, 36 hours ago, probably better just to have the day off. So I didn't run at all on Wednesday. Um, so then on Thursday, I got out and did what I normally do on a Wednesday, which is sort of the midweek long run. Um, ran again in the morning. So sort of just did the same stuff that I did on Tuesday in terms of the activation, doing all my exercises. Like um, it's made such a difference. Like I don't have any of that foot slapping anymore. Don't have, um, you know, my, my nails aren't being banged up against the front of the shoe. Um, and yeah, this morning run, I didn't have really any glute pain either. So yeah, didn't did 90 minutes uh, or 91 minutes, 419s for the half marathon. Uh, yes, that was bit of chat in that. Geez, these comments run. are blowing up here. Oh. I'm just reading these here. Yeah, I had a mate. Uh, I had a mate message me later in the week going, "Mate, you started a war on Strava." Vaccination versus the unvaccinated. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I certainly wasn't well, looking for a. Uh... You're firing up. <laughs> I didn't fire up. You just drop a, just a little one in there. Yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, I was just staying out of it. <laughs> um, yeah, because my title there was rebounding from a Pfizer ass kicking. So why are you staying was... out of it for? Well, I just like what's it, what's it going to achieve? <laughs> oh mate, if you, it's big dogs like you that come out swinging. People, <laughs> people will follow you. You're a leader, not a follower. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that was Thursday, and then. Um, I remember last week I said I, was, I planned to start sort of sessions uh, from like the 1st of October, which was Friday. So uh, I ran just down on the synthetic ovals in the morning for um, just over 7K, 424s. And then that afternoon I headed out to Thoroughbred Park, which is the um, the, the racetrack or the horse, the horse racetrack uh, in Canberra. Um, and so, yeah, session that I did was a 15-minute tempo, um, three-minute jog after that and then five 30 second reps uh, i did this to heart rate like i didn't really know what sort of heart rate it should be but i just i started off and then it climbed relatively quickly but i and i i got told myself basically once it hits 170 i i back off um and i did a pretty good job of that um because one one half of the racetrack is slightly uphill and it, and, the, and the course is pretty exposed so i had one half was uphill into a headwind and the other was downhill with a tailwind. And so on the uphill into the headwind, like on, you know, probably 10 minutes in, I had to really slow down um, just because my heart rate was going was going to go above 170 if I kept so I kept sort of pushing that pace. So, um, yeah, I was pretty happy with how I controlled that. Uh, I think I averaged about 324s for the for the tempo. Um, yeah, like I was working, but it wasn't, you know, wasn't super taxing. Um, heart rate was probably higher than I would have liked it to be, but you know, when you're not that fit or you're coming back into sessions, like heart rate does climb pretty high, even though the perceived effort's not super high. Um, yeah, jogged three minutes and then just ran 30 seconds, like pretty solid. They were uh, somewhere in like the 240s, I think, just a minute recovery between those. Um, so that was, yeah, first session back in first week, yeah, first session in about seven weeks, I think. So yeah, I was pretty happy with that. Tick the box. Um, yeah. Uh, 
Then Saturday morning, headed down to the synthetic oval and, um, yeah, got down there and actually Dick, Dick Telford's squad were, were doing a session there, um, which I think is the first time they've ever done a session there. It was, um, yeah, because we'd had so much rain throughout the week, Stromlo cross-country course was closed. So they were looking for another training venue. So that made my 32 minutes go a lot quicker, just sort of, you know, keeping that, like keeping an eye on those guys. Um Remember how I was talking about my old streak sixes that I can't run in anymore? I found a perfect use for them. Running in the streak sixes on this synthetic oval is amazing because the um, the grass is so spongy that uh, I find if I'm wearing a normal training shoe, it, I feel really heavy like on that sort of grass, whereas the... Um, yeah, the streak six was was awesome. So I really enjoyed that run. Um, not sure how, like it's 402's average. Probably got a little bit carried away just having <laughs> people there running fast. Um, but also it's around a 500-meter loop. So may not be that accurate. And then that afternoon I um, got to lunchtime and I was regretting actually not doing the longer run for the day in the morning um, because I was just like, oh, man, I've got to go and run longer than I did this morning. Um, but, yeah, went out to Mulligan's, did a 13k loop out there at 420s and then sunday um, met rob a guy that i coach uh, actually he, d- he designed the mulligans uh flat track club logo and um yeah we did almost two hours like an hour 58 uh 411s uh, i was pretty tired on this run actually like this was this was a bit of a grind um not sure if it was it was a little bit warmer than normal a bit humid um plus i'd I'd run, I think I'd average like 23K a day for the last three days. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> met Rob and I'm like, look, today, because Rob Rob normally runs his long runs at like 4.30s, I'm like, I just basically want to run 4.25s to 4.30s for this long run. Like, I want to get into the habit of actually doing some long runs at that. And he was like half-stepping for the first <laughs> hour, like nonstop. Like, I'm just like, mate, like just – let's calm down slow down and then he got to like an hour in or maybe 75 minutes in and then he was starting to struggle and i was just like oh <laughs> so he wrote the he wrote that he was guilty of like half stepping for the first half and paid for it in the second um yeah so 411 it's, it's a common story isn't it well yeah well look he's the first to admit it but i like i seriously would have like i wanted to run 425s to 430 so um yeah, it will happen. Um, yeah, so anyway, 411s for 28K and uh, a week of 126. So, yeah, hopefully just slowly build up the mileage a little bit over the next month um, with a few more doubles and, um, yeah, I plan to do maybe two sessions this week. Yeah, good. Hey, Croaks, you, yeah. um, when was – so you, are you changing your heart rate, like – goals or not goals but ranges based on you being so much older than it used to be well yeah it's a tough one because like when i when i did that tempo on uh what was it friday looking back at it like 170 i reckon is probably still like like i didn't average 170 like i hit 170 and then i made sure i stayed under that but it was probably like for where i'm at i could probably go a little bit slower um and looking at the pace so i think next time i'll i reckon for me at the moment like 330s if i like running three like if it's if it's flat if the train's relatively flat i reckon 330s for a tempo is probably 
a more I don't know in the right zone than than low three twenties. Um, but it's yeah, I guess unless I get some testing done, it's it's hard. Like because yeah. I know like and I know we've spoken about this before. Like when you're not that fit, your heart rate gets a lot higher, even though the perceived effort's actually not that high. Um, so I have a feeling that you know in a month's time when I'm fitter, one seventy will actually feel a lot harder perceived effort wise than it did on Friday. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like, so it's a bit of yeah, it's a bit of guesswork, but I definitely want to err on the side of things being a bit slower for the for the next month. So, and that's why I reckon three thirties for you know twenty to thirty, well, probably you know like three thirties for thirty minutes would probably be a good tempo pace for me at the moment. Watch yeah. that come yeah. down though the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it'll come down, Keep but the same it's just, pace, and you'll just average. Like yeah, heart rate. Will, yeah, heart rate will come down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, very good. Um, any signs of races up there? ACT are going all right, aren't they? They're going to open up soon next week. Uh, well, yeah, we're out of lockdown on the fifteenth of October. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think. Well, and then I think at that point we can like like training groups of twenty five. But I'm not sure when events will start. Yeah, probably not not for a while yet. Yep. Moose, tell us about your recovery from the surgery. Starting to put a few together. Um, yeah, well, I'm on the run-walk program. So was, there was a fair bit of progress this week, really. To, like, oh, I guess today today was sort of the big, biggest step up. Um, so on Monday, I ran on the treadmill, so I got the tready in. Uh, the weather's been average here, and I just thought I'd test it out. So I did 10 by 45-second jog, 45-second walk. And then um, I did a bike ride. Like a, I think I did maybe a monofartlek on the Tuesday on the um, on the bike, and then I can't remember what I did to be honest. <laughs> I don't really care, but it gets your heart rate up pretty good. Uh, Wednesday I did twelve by sixty on, sixty off. So I did that on the treadie again. Um, not sure why, just finding the. I'm just playing with a new toy basically. Uh, day off on the Thursday, on the Friday. I did 10 by two minutes jog, one minute walk. And then con- first consecutive day of running, I did the same session, but I went a bit rogue and only did 45 seconds walk. So I'm getting there. Uh, it's it's hard now that because I've been doing so much gym work, I get quite sore from that. So I've been doing some heavier lifting, like my glutes, hamstrings, uh, get get pretty fatigued and i get doms from it and so it makes running a little more difficult which i noticed today because i went to the gym this morning on my way into the hospital and then i ran later tonight and i was just so beat up through my posterior chain that the running wasn't very pleasant at all it was kind of a bit of a drag and i'm giving myself like accessory injuries from the gym work so i need to be careful of that uh but yeah i'm, I'm on the right track i think i'll be running like 20 minutes continuous by the weekend so that's that's, that's good yeah As, and that'll sorry, sorry. Go on. Yeah. that'll only be like six weeks six six and a half weeks um or five and a half weeks before i'm running continuously so that's that's pretty good from from this type of surgery and how's the treadmill you managed to uh stabilize it a bit bit better yeah so I, I i put it up on more of an incline 
like one i think one percent one and a half percent seems to stabilize it more it's almost like it puts more pressure i don't know what it does exactly but it stops the, the that little bit of wonkiness that i've got yeah uh, but i had someone running on it i did a lactate test on it on on a guy who got up to 23 kilometers an hour last week on the treaty and it was more stable at 23k an hour than it was at 12 um so yeah <laughs> that it i'm not sure how it works but it looked like if if it can handle max speed uh someone slapping along at that for a couple of minutes then it's it should be should be okay at 12k an hour he was banging at 23k an hour more efficient maybe than you at 12k an hour <laughs> yeah well is it's Ben, Ben Moynihan, who, oh, who the, ran... the new stud down there, Croaks. New yeah, big dog. guy. No wonder. New, new sheriff in town. We're, talk, we're talking about heart rate. No, like he like he knows the drill down here. Track doesn't mean anything. Are you coaching um, him now? No, I'm not. But his coach wanted him to get a test, and and so I could so do that. Some who's charged him 600 bucks yeah. to cover the cost of all the strips that he's wasted. Come to my lab, baby. <laughs> Come <laughs> no, to the shed. It, it, it's a different protocol his coach used than what I normally use. Is he still coached and by Justin Rinaldi, Pete no, Bowles' coach? No, no. no, he's coached by a guy in um, uh, or Ben Mildenhall, Matthew Mildenhall, someone Mildenhall in New Zealand, and he, um, he his heart rate can go up. So he he, he his heart rate got up to two oh eight on oh. this run. <laughs> that is high. And his threshold was like 195, 193, 195. Whoa. That's pretty incredible. Uh, he warned me it was like that. And I'm like, mm, everyone says they have this high heart rate. And then we were, his heart rate was like 180 something. And his lactate was three. And I was going, oh boy, you are a different beast. So then through the test that you're doing, you can tell whether he's in the lactate zone or not. Which then, ma- much, which then yeah. matches up with his heart rate, so then he can go do workouts. So you can say, hey, when you were at 198, that was your lactate zone. That's where your lactate threshold is for workouts. There's a curve that you, you, you get a curve from it. So there's a program that I use that you punch in all the values. It develops um, a curve, and off that curve, you can, you can get like four. There's no established lactate threshold um, uh, I guess marker. It's really interesting. Like out of all the research you've done, people use different things like um, to get the actual number. So if someone might use four millimole, um, there's there's different ways that you can achieve that or or to work out what the actual threshold is there. So the the anaerobic threshold and um, so we sort of use a bit of a combo of a few things. But at four millimole, yeah, you can get like that's a it's pretty a close. pretty pretty good idea pretty close and um you should and, start yeah, charging they're, they're, people to do this get people around your shop well, I do, do, it, do it in the shop come I, get can't get fitted plus get a threshold test while you're in there no well at the start i was just getting my systems down and like practicing and getting some experience but the last sort of three tests have been flawless like in terms of um the testing they're all like there's no flawed tests and and everything's worked really well and it's especially easy on a treadmill to control someone's intensity and effort 
and and duration. So there, yeah, like I I have been new business um, venture. The rich get richer, Crooks. It's 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 <laughs> not very much. Pay for the snoo somehow. <laughs> it's not very much. It's not, it's not like um like it these it, the materials are expensive. Once right? the, once the so borders like, open, I'm going to get down there. Put me on there. Get me some get me some levels. Yeah. Get me some data. I've got a. I'll get a little record board going in the shed. Yeah. And we'll see see what the record. I, I find it hard to believe anyone will beat Ben's record. Um, yeah. But he's he he got up. He, you could see like I've never seen someone get to that heart rate before. Um, How you can see what where K pace is twenty three k an hour. Like three minute K pace is twenty k an hour. But what does that convert oh, to? I've got it actually. I think it's like. Let me just pull it up. He's ran like a 340 or something for 1500 too, hasn't he? Yeah, he's fast. He's fast and he's, he's fast. got an engine. Yeah, he's... Um, you know who's beaten him before Croaks in a race? You, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then I've beaten you more times than you've beaten me, so... I can't yeah. ever remember you beating me before. <laughs> it's a bit of a, yeah, bit of a cycle. <laughs> hey, mate, you want you telling me something or you want me to tell you a bit? Yeah, tell me what oh, 23K is. Oh, do you want me is? to tell you something? Yeah, 23K an hour. Nah, I got the wrong. I got the wrong uh, sheet up. Yeah. No, tell you us tell about me. your week. Uh, you tell us about your week. 30, 30 minutes Monday morning, four thirty ones. I was on school holidays, so this was good. I like training on school holidays. Just get a bit more time, a bit more energy. Don't have to go to work. Makes training a bit easier. Uh, afternoon Monday, got out for twelve k at four thirty sevens, and then Archie Glenn and I met up uh, at the Moama Grass Track on Tuesday morning. It was good. We met at eight, which is a bit of a sleep in for us. Um, did a bit of a combo workout so 10 minutes like out this dirt road and a bit of like asphalt road for a while at threshold so we did 10 minutes at 311 and then we changed into our spikes got onto the grass track and did eight 400s in about 67 average with 60 seconds walk between and then changed back out of our spikes into our um train flats and then did another 10 minutes and this is where I was looking at my heart rate as well, it croaks. And when it got to 170, I was just starting to get dropped by Archie, probably about uh, five and a half minutes into the six minutes. And I saw my heart rate was at 170 and just um, started looking at that and just keeping it there. So I kind of backed off a bit. I averaged 313s for the last 10 minutes. He averaged, I think, 308s or something like that, which was good. I liked on those workouts where you're on and off the track um, all up. It was kind of like 10 and a half K as well. The fours felt a lot better than I thought they were going to because I haven't really been on the track for a while and just getting used to the bends and, yeah, and the grass tracks always. Like I've got that two-second rule where you take two seconds off. So eight 400s in 67, which is probably really 65s, is a good spot to start, fellas, on the track. Is that, is that oval still marked? Yeah, it's just, it's a bit dodgy at the moment. Spray paint's just faded, but Little Athletics is coming back soon, so we've got to be, um, yeah, it's got to be going to be pretty fine Drag, and, um, dragonflies on grass though that's oh, yeah. that's a good thing oh that'd be nice that's just beautiful yeah and i like the conversation that you and um nitter and tom decanter had on shoe geeks like i always used to think there was high risk doing stuff in spikes but i think it's okay because you get so much protection from those spikes like jumping. uh yeah i mean not as much protection for your calf and foot and achilles maybe but less, but more protection for other areas, I yeah. guess, knee and hip and everything. Um, 
but the main thing is that the new ones shouldn't be looked at as like put put in the same class as the old ones yeah yeah Yeah. so um yeah i need some new spikes though because mine are all blunt from the cross-country races i was doing i need it oh yeah but i think that's all right like it's if they're not too spiky it's good to be able to train in them um cooled down there got out for an easy 30 minutes in the afternoon 448s then on wednesday oh that's right so tuesday night hudson has slept through the night like every night for the last six months and then here i was lipping off this um snoo thing last week and then the next night after recording the podcast he uh yeah wakes up had a terrible night hardly had any sleep just really broken i reckon it's something to do yeah the simulation i've been talking about fellas this is what's happened. They've heard me looping off on the podcast. They say, you know what? I'm just, just going to wake up your kid now if you're throwing that loop out there. So real rough night's sleep, 20K, 438 average. Um, yeah, shocking though. Anyway, you know when you're just tired like that, just like, yeah, didn't want to be out there. But I did listen to um, Inside Jogging where Clousy recapped his race at Berlin. I thought that was pretty good, pretty honest. Like obviously, Oh, I haven't before, seen it. Yeah. Haven't heard it. Obviously that performance didn't go the way he would have wanted and probably what he deserved from his preparation. But, yeah, good to hear someone just being honest and, yeah, recapping their, their race. Sounded terrible. I lied. I actually have listened to that. I yeah. have listened When to he's that. talking about how he can't see and stuff and, like, yeah. he'd stop and then he'd start going again and, oh, just overheating and getting dizzy. Sounds like a terrible way to be running the last 10k of a marathon um then thursday did another little workout eight by two minutes so archie and i met up with this one again kind of averaged about three minute k pace off a real slow jog though like we're not floating this minute in between like i usually would when we do um two minute reps but that's good just going up and down the road and back um that was all right cool down there easy 30 minutes in the afternoon at 446 pace been putting my heart rate monitor on for easy days and easy jogs, just making sure it doesn't go over 130. So um, the day after that as well, I averaged 445s. And I think my heart rate average is like 126. And I just love it. You just go out, super chilled, super slow, just like, yeah, I like jogging slow. So what was your aim? Like, what were you look? What did you want to stay below 130 or something? Yeah, just to stay below 130. And all I look at is... Um, the heart rate on my screen and like i've got duration for the run so i don't actually know what pace i'm going so yeah 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 so that average 128 and every time i just see it go higher than 130 i just slow down so Um, how do you pick 130 yeah it's just a nice round number that i've heard is like i haven't been in the lab and got tested for ages um i've always just used that as kind of like the super slow recovery heart rate um, you just pick pick one. Well, there's that thing like 130 to 150, uh, 130 to 145 is like in that recovery kind of zone, and I just keep it at the very bottom end of that. For who? For me. But you've just picked that. You just made those numbers up. Well, I did get I did get a test at Monash years ago, and I think that's where I've got those numbers from. But I'd have to look it up. You're talking right. to Australia's premier premier sports <laughs> science team, Brady. I'm just trying to work out. You just told me 130 to 145 in the in the area, and you're like, no, 126. I go, yeah, I keep it even lower. Just mm. don't even want to get to that area. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm not having a go. Yet. I'm just actually, I'm actually interested. Yeah, I, that's what I was saying before. Though. I'd love to get updated yeah. ones. I remember my threshold was 164 to 167 when I got it, the test done yeah. at Monash. 
Um, so that's probably the one I pay a bit more attention to. And then this one, I just try to keep it as low as possible while I'm still actually feel like I'm running. When did you? When were you at Monash? Like 15 years ago? No, it was um, before I did that one in Japan, Nobioka. I reckon that oh, was the okay. start of. Oh, that's right. 2018. Yeah, yeah, I remember you talking because I did that it. carb yeah. testing and stuff as well. Remember my VO2 yeah. was like 88 or something. Remember it was like massive, like Lance Armstrong stuff. No. Yeah, it's not very efficient then. Yeah, they said I should have been running like 205 marathons or something. <laughs> you, get the, you get the record for the, for the biggest VO2. I was, yeah. They couldn't believe me that day. Anyway, um, took that easy. And then Saturday, met up with the boys again. We've been doing Saturday morning long runs just so you can um, have a couple of beers Saturday night. Don't have to get up hungover. That's a, that's a professional way to look at it. Yeah, just got to have that balance <laughs> right in your life. Um, so I did, we did... Yeah, oh yeah, we went down like 6K and then turned back. So we got back to the starting point, it was 12K, and then we went 6K in the other, other direction and come back. That was 24K. And then I swapped shoes over. They just did, uh, or didn't just, they did an hour 52 hours, uh, hour 56, I think Archie was. And we kind of averaged like 405s up until this stage. And then I chucked on a pair of next percenters and then I actually chucked in my headphones as well. Um, and just put some music on. I just thought oh, I'm just going to make make this next 9k steady. Actually, I jogged in the next percentage until I got to 25k because I had my 5k splits on my watch. So then, once my watch ticked over 25k and beeped, I just um, just ran at oh yeah, I didn't have my pace on. That's right. And I was kind of like, just keep it steady. Don't try and chase a pace. And then when it was coming up to 30k, I was like trying to guess what the split was going to be. And I was like, I think this is about 17 minutes. And it, and it flicked up as 17.01. And then I just picked it up a bit for the last 4K and probably averaged like 3.20 for the last 4K, which then got me to 34K and then just did 1K cooldown. So it was a good morning, 35K, 3.53 average with 9K like pickup in there at about 3.22 average, I think it was. And felt good, felt in control. Um... Yeah, getting that long run out, hoping that Melbourne Marathon's going to happen. And then Sunday did a 60-minute recovery run again, 4.41s. I think my um, yeah heart rate was, I don't know, 126 or something that day, just doing that heart rate thing again. 146K for the week, I think, which was good. So I'm building some Ks back up. My bars are starting to get a bit higher again and feel like I'm going well getting that long run out without doing anything amazing in workouts yet because i probably don't need to be if this marathon's going to happen in 10 weeks time what do you reckon fellas are we going to oh. race it's got to be close doesn't it mm. you're you're, you're more confident than what i am i think brady i'm very optimistic in most <laughs> things in life croak so like yeah that's true well this is the way you're very much a, you're a glass half full yeah. guy aren't you well we're going to be 80 percent as a country and as the state the race is going to happen in a month before this race is even meant to happen yeah, it's so difficult because we're watching these events now, aren't we? And we're looking at it going, oh, if they can do it, we can do it. Yeah. But but we don't, we haven't even come close to doing it yet. And and that's the thing. Like there's no examples here of, of doing it in any way. And so and, – Yeah, and I think, I think if you listen to all of the premiers as well, it's not like when we hit this that everything gets open. It's like it's a – a gradual easing of restrictions, which to me, like a mass participation marathon comes like 
a few tiers down in terms of the you know re- uh, relaxing those restrictions. Yeah, but um, I'm hoping they look at like the stuff overseas where they're not having any transmission at these mass participation events and stuff. But mm-hmm. but do you think the Victorian government up? is looking at that? No, I don't think no. That's what concerns me the most. The Victorian government's pretty conservative and they're going to open things slowly and this is going to be at the bottom of the pile to open things up again. Yeah, if we had zero cases, I think it would be going like I think it would be all right. So if you say you had say this was in South Australia, zero cases, 80% vaxxed, and they run the race. Yeah. That's okay. If you did this with still 1,500 cases in the community at that time, that's when, like, I don't think it will happen. Um, and I understand that overseas, like, what was London's cases yesterday? Probably more than Victoria still. Um, and, and it's happening. But that's because they've been on this road, this path for a long time and you could, so they've sort of got used to it. Whereas yeah, we're so sensitive to it. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. had 24,000 cases yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and so, and I think they're 80% vaccinated, aren't they? Like they're pretty much. Yeah. Well, let's say that they are and, and they're getting that many cases. They put this race on and we're, we're okay. That's like, that's a good precedent. Hmm. But if we have 1500 cases and we put the race on at 80% back, I, I just, it, it, it's because we're so far removed from that. It's hard to sort of, it's hard to see us doing it, but I, I mean, I, I want it to happen so much. And then you also so got sensitive a... to cases and stuff as well. Like even now that like some are starting to come into, like we got a couple of, um, tier two sites here in Echuca because Shep's back in lockdown and stuff and Kai Abram's got a few cases and everyone just freaks out when you got like one in your town. So mm. I can't imagine, as you said, if there's, you know, 1,500 every day and then people are going to want to get together and do do a run and race in public. And even in a month's time, say the numbers are down to 600 a day, um, you know, that's – so so what, in, in – Four weeks time that that means that six weeks before the race like these races take so much to organize that at some point melbourne are going to go well is it really worth us committing now over this next six weeks to put on this event and then be shut down like gold coast was like a couple of days before or is it better for us just to cut our losses now and not commit to it no but i think on their website it says they've already done all the COVID stuff yeah no but there's still there's still stuff that needs to be done to put on an event yeah like in those, la- I imagine in those, you know, last four weeks. Um, so anyway, yeah. I don't know. You're you're more optimistic about it than what I am. England, eighty-two percent, three mm. days ago, second dose, and um, twenty-three k an hour is two thirty-six k pace. Oh yeah, it's moving pretty quick. Pretty quick. So yeah, well yeah, see what I'm not doing any like big workouts for like until it's like six. I'm just going to do a real late build up anyway. So hopefully we know some more stuff. Do the mono prep. Just do the do hey, ten weeks of mono's training. Was, yeah, mono's prep works because he does so much jogging. Though I can't, I don't have time to be doing two hundred k a week or energy, or it's going to break me. Just run four fifteen instead of four forty five, and you run a few extra k's in your hour. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's the thing too. Do <laughs> then my heart rate be high, Brad? <laughs> We've got to follow my heart rate rules. Uh, Let's thank some Patreon supporters, eh? Who's going All right. first? Um, I'll kick it off with uh, Ian Finlayson. He lives in Aluka, which is in WA. He's run uh, pretty solid times of 16.20 for 5K, 35.48 for 10, 
76 for the half, and he ran 2.40 at Perth Marathon, which was a 17-minute PB. Uh, goes under the handle at Perth Running Dad on Insta. Dad of four, pop of one. Um, yeah, thanks for your support, Ian. And, uh, yeah, good to see that Perth can put on events. Yeah. Was that, when's Perth, Perth Marathon soon, isn't Two it? Two weeks, not this weekend, next weekend. Okay, so this was, was that last year's? Was that last year's Perth Marathon, was it? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, good luck if you're running it this year, Ian. Again. I think Sunshine Coast yeah. is this weekend, isn't it? But they're yeah, like it touch is. and go because then Queensland's got those cases, haven't they? Yeah. Hopefully they're right there. Moose, who are you thinking? I have George Rice from Jersey. This is a good one here because Jersey is the largest of the Channel Islands between England and France a self-governing dependency of the United Kingdom with a, with a mix of British and French, French cultures. So this was, I learned about Jersey when we tried to send, I'm assuming it's George <laughs> that we tried to send this, one of the inside running singlets to because we tried to send it to Jersey and it was difficult because like there was no real postal service that went there uh, yeah, I can't remember exactly the situation, but I'm like, I've never heard of this before. It sounds like a nightmare trying to trying to get stuff over there. Uh, but yeah, anyway, that's it's a, it's an island, a mix of British and French culture. So George is quite a, an athlete. He's run 1509, 32.03, 10k at the Headway 10k, one there, 114 at Great North Run. Gee, that's not – gee, you can go faster than that, George. 3.18 in the marathon. Oh, where you stop and drink wine in France. I've heard of that. Yeah, that's everyone's that joke, right? Yeah. Oh, that's our sort of marathon, you yeah. know. Like, that's the one when it comes yeah. up on Facebook, everyone tags people in it. This sounds like yeah. a marathon for me. You're like, yeah, you still have 42K, <laughs> mate, and you're 25 kilos overweight. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And imagine um, – I'm guessing every 5K there's like a wine station – um so there's like if you get to the end you've had eight glasses that's it that'd be difficult it actually sounds terrible um, i couldn't think i would not enjoy that at all there used to be people that used like that would go out in geelong from anglesey it's about like 25 30 kilometers away and because the taxis were so expensive and like people were younger they used to run home or just like mission home after a nightclub and it might take some of them like three or three hours or so from run walking the whole way uh i just thought that was wild back in the day you would have run home from a nightclub a couple of times though wouldn't you back in the day not that far what, but 30k not 30k i used like, to run home from the, the anglesey pub yeah, i used to run what's that three or four k it's about two yeah about yeah. two and a half yeah the good ones clear the head helps you wake up better too i reckon pre-season for a few years a couple of extra just miles add on, add on to your week get home and just be sweaty and gross and yeah. then have to have a shower <laughs> or you're doing Being like nurture. thongs or like going out shoes and stuff as well yeah i remember taking my shoes off a few times and running barefoot <laughs> yeah. i did it once after a christmas party but didn't make it to the destination passed out on the side of the road oh did you <laughs> yeah next Bradley. thing i when i when i came to there was four girls standing over the top of me, and they'd called they'd called the uh, cops. Cops, yeah. And uh, I was like, "Oh, you're going to give me a lift, are you?" And they're like, "No." So they took off, and then I 
ran into the bushes thinking the cops were after me. I was out of it. And then um, they came back after they dropped one of their friends off and actually did come and pick me up and took me back to uh, back to where I was meant to be going. So yeah, good lost, story. It wasn't a good. It wasn't a good night. Lost my credit card. It was one of those real messy nights where I've, uh, I don't think I've ever drunk again at a Christmas party. I wish I knew Christmas you ten years too. ago. Yeah, it sounded like it a better been bloke. So much funner. What about Mona? I'm pretty sure Mona ran home from his re- or ran to the hotel from his reception. At his wedding. Did he? <laughs> That's what I've heard. And I'm pretty sure he told it too. Uh, so the end of the night, everyone, like him and his mates went for a run, I think. So romantic, Mona. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's true. But, gee, I'm a bit worried now. Um, uh, but anyway, that, George. I wish I knew that last Monday. Yeah. I could have asked him. Yeah. could have asked him that. Thanks, George. Thanks, Ian. I'm going to thank Linda Rubertus from um, Ashmore, Queensland. Is Ashmore at the Gold Coast? Is that the same spot, Brad? You know much about Queensland? Uh, no. Maybe Is Ashmore on... more, more Brisbane? Brisbane? That's what I thought. Yeah. I think on her Instagram it says Gold Coast, but then on her Patreon it said Ashmore. Anyway, she's uh, Dutch but living in Australia. She uh, is living with Mr. Perfect, her three sons, her one rescue dog and her three rescue chickens. Uh, I don't know where I got that from. Maybe her Instagram. Having... Living with what? Living with who? Mr. Perfect. I'd say it's her husband or something. Mm. Husband, partner. Um, it's a good way to describe him. She has this blog. I looked her up. It's called Run, Read, and Create. And she um, has all her run stats and stuff on there, what she's got coming up, like she's training for a marathon this year. Um, last year, I think her long-term goal was to run 5K in 30 minutes, which she ticked off in 2019. And then, yeah, this year was the full marathon, so I'm not sure how she's going there. Uh, 2016, she started running. And then it also lists all the books she's read. And I looked up her last year, kind of her book status, and she read 66 books, fellas. It's pretty good. 66 books in 52 weeks. Five days. It's pretty good going, isn't it? Yeah, that's pretty good. Hey, Brady, Ashmore is Gold Coast, actually. It's just... It's just inland from, um, like, Main Beach. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She also does a bit of knitting, sewing, quilting. So, uh, she's a, yeah, she's pretty skillful in a few different areas. Linda, thanks, Linda, for your support. All the other legends over there on Patreon for keeping the show alive each and every week. Running news, boys, didn't have much, but the big thing was London Marathon. Did you sit down and watch it last night? Oh, I had one eye on the uh, one eye on this and one eye on the Rugby League Grand Final. Okay, Moose, what were you? Yeah, Doing I watched Penrith it. I watched Panthers? The... Oh, no, I didn't watch that shit. I watched the running race. <laughs> Croce, you got hammered last week for getting oh. some of your NRL facts wrong as well. Yeah, I know. So the Panthers won in 2003. Uh, that was the last time they won before winning last night. So, well, I didn't, yeah, obviously didn't do my research. I didn't expect to be talking about death last week or the, um, <laughs> all the Penrith Panthers premiership history. Death? <laughs> no, I remember we spoke about death last night, last week. Did we? How did you yeah. even get that? That's the highlight of the death. show for me. What do you mean, death? Like what happens when you die? You oh, yeah. How, it's like being in a dark room that you can't oh, escape God. from. No, no I, didn't, I didn't say that. that. That's when I think about death is when I'm in a dark room and it's quiet. Not that not not the death feels like you're... Let's talk about Sinead Diver and Always Welling. We had two Australians in the women's race. Sinead uh, came in 12th, 227.16. Louise Wellings came in 14th to 29.42. Fastest ever debut, fellas, for Louise Wellings over the marathon. 
female debut uh, and the first person to debut under two hours and 30 minutes. Just missed the World Champs 2022 World mm. Champs qualifying time by 12 seconds, which is that that's World Athletics set, isn't it? We haven't heard anything from Athletics Australia about that time yet. But uh, they'll just use the World Athletics one. Yeah, I don't think the criteria for Australia is up, but it, yeah, it's pretty. I think it's pretty set like that. But and com probably, games will be different yeah, for each country. Different. Normally yeah. more, normally more generous, and they may like. I'm not. Ex- they haven't released it, so I won't say anything. But. Other countries have though. I looked up like Scotland's. There's like two. What was it? Two fifteen thirty, and maybe like yeah. two thirty two for the women. Yeah, it's it, but there's there's other ways to select as well. Mm. So I think you can use rankings within your Commonwealth rather than rankings within your sport as well within within your actual event. Um, so I'm not. Um, yeah, let's wait and see. Um, what did you think of Sinead? Sinead went with kind of Charlotte Purdue. It looked like they had like a really small pack, two pacemakers. Um, and then, yeah, Charlotte went on. She had a pretty good run. She didn't run like a two-minute PB, 2.23.26 yeah. for 10th. Sinead obviously uh, had the Olympics, what, seven weeks ago where she finished 10th. So it's a pretty good, uh, you know, two months for Sinead, though. Yeah, it, and she meant, she mentioned on the email, on the um, interview that we did, didn't she, talking like, what are you there for? She wasn't there for a fast time. She wasn't there to win the race. She was there because it was a handy appearance fee, and it'll set her up for next year. So I like that. She was quite honest about that. Yeah. Um, she knew it was she knew it wasn't optimal either uh, to to leave like the Olympics, going to quarantine, fly across, taper again. Like it just wasn't an optimal program. And uh, like it would not, if you look, there weren't that many athletes who had brilliant races who backed up from the Olympics. Was there even at the very top end, Africans? So yeah, I mean, guy, the world record holder, like. But yeah, she went into the race favourite and come fourth. Uh, yeah, and so fourth, but fourth in 2.17, wasn't it? 2.18. 2, 2, 2.18. So she's four minutes off her PB. So it's not brilliant from her if you consider that. Mm. And and Lona, um, she, like, what's her name? Lona. Uh, Chemtai Solpeter. Yeah, that's it. The, um, the one that's. Israel, she represents. Israel, yeah. So she, she, she had a. Oh, she. I mean, she had a terrible Olympic campaign result, but she was right up there. She she worked her ass off in the Olympics, so you knew that there was a hard effort involved, and she she ran quite well too, under two twenty, uh, but still fifth place. And you could see that maybe there was just a little bit of um, like m- missing the edge towards the end. Yeah, well, there was the, five women under two nineteen, which I think is the first time that's ever happened in a race. Yeah. Jocelyn Jep Cosguy. I picked her before the race, fellas. Told you she'd win it. 2.17.43. Uh, and then Dear Gitter Azimares was second in 2.17.58. And then Bereki from Ethiopia was third in 2.18.18. So that's pretty close. And uh, yeah, Jocelyn didn't do the Olympics, though. That's why I picked her. And she ran 65, like low, at Berlin a couple of weeks ago, Berlin half marathon. So, mm. so we got on that. Uh, any other comments about our Lee's performance? That's that's a good debut. She'll learn a lot from that. Yeah, like I'm sure she'll go faster. Um, you know, I, I would have, you know, I guess a marathon debut, there's so much unknown, but knowing 
the quality of athlete she has been over like 5k 10k like you know somebody that's running 31 something for 10 you'd expect them to be able to run 230 um, in a marathon so what i liked about her run was um she was uh she was sensible in her approach like she didn't go out there really trying to run like 226 which i think she's probably capable of down the track it was like no let's just tick this first one off be pretty conservative through halfway and like yeah it wasn't a negative i don't think it was a negative split but it wasn't it wasn't a very big fade in the second half so it was a it was a sensible debut Mm. yeah Um, i I like that too i I was impressed with that because it would have been very easy for her to look at her 10k times her her 5k running and her professional career and go back and, and think okay well i'm better look at all these other girls that have run faster than me or then run 225 226 like i'm much higher level of athlete i can run that but she did it she did it really well it was quite wise it's interesting because i just put i just wanted to see what that time converted to remember she was running like 1530s 1535s 5k's trying to qualify for the olympics Mm -hmm. her time equates to 1532 for 5k so it's probably probably a real (laughs) good indication of like where she was at and she's gone out there and as you said hasn't chased something quicker i think those they they seem more like we're all a bit different aren't we but those those calculators tend to be more biased towards the shorter distance in my mind i mean um oh what i mean is it it's harder to hit hit the marathons that are equivalent to the paces that are shorter for most yeah. people yeah i agree yeah um so she'll get a singlet somewhere is that what we're thinking there's six potential singlets up for grabs with the commonwealth yeah, games definitely and the a games. Yeah. well yeah well because there's well, six there's six and like obviously the the world champs and the com games are so close together that the same people that run world champs won't run the marathon at com games so um, but I've got a feeling that the top, so those that qualify, I guess, who have the fastest marathon times, are, uh, may be likely to try and run like a 10K at World Champs yeah, maybe and then the it? marathon at Com Games. You'd have to have the time though, wouldn't you? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's not going to be easy to get the time for time male or female, especially yeah. when Do you Ali consider. Do still have it from the World Champs or is that no, outdated they don't. now? Okay. It's, it's outdated and. To get the time, you need to dedicate yourself to running a fast 10K, and it ain't going to happen – oh, well, look, it's a, it's a lower chance that it will happen in Australia than it will happen in, like, America in March, April, when the big 10Ks are on there, like Peyton Jordan and Stanford and Mount Sac. But, and so you, would, you, you almost have to dedicate yourself to getting the time, and by that stage, you're probably looking at – running a marathon and then training for a marathon because it's it depends how you approach your marathon training but sometimes it can be difficult to fit in a good 10k in the guts of marathon training oh not in the guts but even towards the end so i'm not sure so what you're saying moose is that some of the um some of the marathon girls who like they're not all going to qualify for the 10 some of them might have to make a call as to what they prioritize whether they prioritize world champs or com games yeah well mm. training so if they well, yeah, if they but, don't have a mar- if they don't have a marathon qualifier now say well Sinead does um eloise let's say she has it for the com games but look on the com games 
the the athlete allocation I've heard is yeah, much has. lower than it, what what it was, and so if you don't have an automatic qualifying time, um, or your ranking is quite high in the Commonwealth or the world or whatever, and your your ranking um, is inclusive of Kenyans and Ugandans and everything, then you it might be more difficult, uh, especially when you consider that the like the overall athletes might be a lot less than than in the past. Uh, but what I'm saying is that these marathon girls are going to have to run a marathon to get so to get the time. So if you say like let's look at Ali, oh she wants a time for um, she wants a time for the world champs. Well she might run that in February, and then you have to recover and run another one a 10k in April to get the time, and then you have to recover and train for a marathon or a 10k and a 10k it's just a lot of the timing is going to be really difficult what do you reckon moose is the priority so like where do you think most of the athletes will want to run would they want to run the marathon at world champs or the marathon at com games Depends the marathon at the com yeah i don't know i think the marathon at com games is the most um the most attractive given the high chance of medals yeah and the fact that it's on tv Profile. and celebrated here in Australia, yeah, it's it's almost a glory event. Whereas the purists will go, come games. That's like a D grade race compared to to the world champs, where you're getting the best of the best. I mean, look at look at the Kenyan team that came to the Com Games at Gold Coast. It it was just unknowns, really. Um, there was a guy that ran like 208 maybe 10 years earlier or something, and then there was the Kenneth bloke who yeah, the, was like, the 40 year old the 40 year old Barber. Yeah, and, and he was there. And so they were ranked like 200 in Kenya. And so they're the guys coming to, to, to the, the Com Games. Um, you, you know you're getting the best of the best at the World Champs. Well, not, not yeah, you, you're not at the last one you were. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, close, exactly. Yeah, Doha. Don't know if we sent the best of the best, Croaks. <laughs> no, I was just no, in my head. Base, I'm like, actually, right home, didn't we? <laughs> that was not the right call. But yeah, look at the world champs, the previous world champs. To see someone at his good at the top was the best of the best. Uh, not really. There was no Kipchoge, no Bakil. No, it wasn't the best of the best at all. Actually, who was um, top ten? Was solid, wasn't it? To DC, he was there, wasn't he? Yeah, but he's not a great marathoner. True. Yeah, two oh six bloke. Mate, I'm trying um, to pump you up here. Yeah, I know, but I know the realities. Uh, I know the realities. You were in the call room with him. Callum Hawkins um, was fourth. Yeah, he was also fourth at London, though. He got two fourths. London World Champs, not yeah. London Marathon. London World Champs. I mean, not London Olympics. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. The World Champs ain't hitting as hard on the road as it does on the track. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a real good point. Um, men's race. Tell me about this one, Croaks. Um, yeah, so in terms of the positions, uh, Sisse Lemma won in 204.01. Vincent Kipchumba was second in 204.28. And Mossinet Geramu was third in 204.41. So they went through halfway pretty quick, didn't they, Brady? It was like two, uh, 101. Oh, it was just over 101. Yeah, I don't like know. That split in front of me. Yeah, I think they were. I think they were going real. Like they were uh, close to like course record. Two hundred two forty, maybe predicted finish at like twenty five k. Yeah, yeah. So faded a little bit, but um, yeah. It's a good so that race, was though. It was big pain until pretty late. This guy mm. is um, what he ran twenty two marathons. This is his first win. He was zero to, from nine in the major marathon, zero from thirteen, including Dubai marathon. 
So what do you mean zero? He hadn't, hadn't won one. Oh, yeah, but he's running the big ones. Yeah, but he yeah, rocks up to a lot of big ones, but he never wins them. He'd had a few podiums in the last year or two, he was, though. He was paying 13 bucks. Bookies didn't rate yeah. his chances at all. This was like a collection of guys that run super fast behind, like, Bikili and Kipchoge and yeah. stuff. I, th- I thought it was a great race for that. It was why it was exciting. I'm like, yeah. we're, we're, we're almost seeing the future right here. Uh, it's like the under-23 race or something. <laughs> but you're seeing a lot of 203 guys in the field. And um, Katata, like, he's, he's sort of – he won London last year, but we still don't know much about him. He, like, time-trialled it and was just by himself the whole race and still ran, like, 205, didn't he? 206? Yeah. Pretty solid. I, I couldn't believe that. That's I thought he, I said to Archer, like, he'll get to whatever his payday is. It'll be like, get to 30K and then DNF. But then, yeah, he held strong. Good on him. That's a long way to time trial, isn't it? Yeah. And, but like, at one stage, it was like they weren't gapping. It was always just, say, 25, 30 seconds behind. Like, they weren't getting that much mm. more in front of him. Same gap. Gee, he uh, has an odd running gait. Mm. He has just the biggest overstride, massive heel strike. Like, his leg comes down, his foot, ankle is so dorsiflexed when he lands and just slaps forward. And he had, like, a beanie and arm warmers on, didn't he? I reckon I watched... Cooking? Yeah. I think I watched him run at, um, oh, Amsterdam or Hamburg or something. Frank, where's the one that they finish inside that indoor shoot? Yeah, that's, that's uh, Frankfurt. Frankfurt. I reckon he won Frankfurt one year, and I was watching going, this bloke is like, this is horrid running. It's like, where's he come from? And he's wearing these really soft shoes, and I thought, they're terrible for him. And then he won, and I was like, whoa, like, whatever. <laughs> I, I can't predict anything, because I pre- predicted that he would get dropped and he shouldn't be there. And look at what he's doing. He's, yeah. Mm. On his Twitter, I am professional marathon runner. <laughs> yeah, the bio is. Yeah. That's it. Oh, like so that. good. Honesty. Uh, then there was this world record. Moose, tell me about this one over on the uh, roads. This was. The oh, mate, I know nothing about this. I didn't know much about it. All. It got gonna... lost in the news. But you this... want me to talk about it? Yeah, I've just got it there. I just need you to read out what I've put there. Okay, I'm going to read it out, but I look. I... No, yeah. this is all Olympic... I know as well. Olympic 10,000 meter silver medalist, Kalkadan Gezernigne. Gezahigna, Gezahagne, remember the, breaks the... Do you remember it? Bahrainian, who... Yeah, yeah, yeah. out of nowhere, of 10 yeah. years ago, was a 1,500-metre runner. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Yep. Breaks the 10K world record with, I'm going to say that's a 27.38. 27. 27. Uh, this is a women's... women's oh, most. it's the women's, sorry, damn. Yeah, this is how much I know about it. <laughs> yeah. And how much I know Ethiopian names. Um, yep. So it's a lady actually, and she broke the 10k road record 29:38 at the Giants Geneva 10k, beating the previous world record by five seconds. So I mean, if you're an Olympic silver medalist, it uh, sec- second to um, Safana San. Yep. I reckon there's room for that world record to keep coming down, yeah, though, because that's a pretty big, big um, gap to what they're running on the track, track. now. Yeah. Mm. All right, listen to question croaks. This is a right. fast show tonight. We're still going. Hi, boys. Got a listen to question for you. How do you how do you deal with DNFing a marathon when you're not injured? Could be because the weather on the day was horrid, or you didn't recover from a cold that you caught during race week. You drop out around 25 to 30 k. 
Do you go for another attempt if there is a race in the next one to two months or act like you've raced full marathon distance? Uh, take time off and maybe focus on some shorter races in the near future. And that question comes in from Dominic. Your mate Dominic Croaks. Yeah, do- go, Dominic. Did you go for oh. a run with him in Spain? No, no, we went and uh, drank sangria oh, in, uh, in Madrid. Yeah. Mm. So Dominic had a, he pulled out Berlin. Oh, yeah, a couple okay. weeks ago in the heat, so that's why he's asking. Oh, this come on the heat, come on the heat. Pretty hot there, I think. Sort of few people out. Uh, so first off, identify like what you did wrong, because the if you got a cold, then that's not like that's a that's not something you've done wrong, right? Getting a cold, you can't really help that. So, but if you've done something throughout the the race where you know you've done wrong which is nutrition normally or pacing. They're the two things normally. Um, you go, okay, what have I done wrong here? So I'd come away. First thing I would do is work that out and say, look, this is what I'm going to do different next time. Um, I, I don't think you want to be setting yourself up with backup races. I think that mentally that creates a get out or a shortcut or an exit strategy for when things start to hurt. So like some people I know line up and go, there's a race on this week but I know in two weeks that if it doesn't go to plan, then I'm going to do this other race. Uh, that's a that's a bad strategy to have in place. Uh, I think you, in, lots of people will look for the short the 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 way out of that when things get really tough. So just have one race and don't have any sort of contingency plan after that. Like go all in on that one race. Um, I don't think you want to be creating a precedent for for dropping out either. Like. Uh, professional athletes like might drop out in order to run another one if they have a qualifying time coming up or um or if there's sort of money involved that help fund their like this is their job whatever but amateur athletes like we're out there competing against ourselves and if you have a bad day like early on i I, like in my mind you kind of have to own that bad day and get to the finish line um, you got to take responsibility for whatever it is that you did wrong earlier in the race and pay the consequence of that by finishing in a slower time because I think that that pays respect to everyone else within that race who's doing a similar thing and working their ass off. Um, uh, so, old, old, grumpy moose, old Grumpy Moose is back. Uh, oh, and, that's, and the people who supported you in the build-up. Yeah, that's it. All those, like... Yeah. <laughs> The, when like if you're out there like we all have times in mind and we all have pbs that we want to reach or whatever but finishing the marathon and having a having a crack and knowing you've committed yourself fully even if it doesn't go well there's a, there's a lot to be gained from that there's how like you get to the finish line like I, i've had some of my shittest races but i've been really proud of of how i got to the finish line and held myself when shit turn, like hit the fan yeah if you know like that's i yeah, walk away and go okay i grew as a person today like i showed that i could fight through when things were, when i was in a lot of pain and yeah i couldn't run faster but i fought through like to to my upper echelons of pain tolerance and mentally like i kept going when i really really didn't want to and i grew as a person and definitely as an athlete and it made like my success as a marathoner later on all the more sweet because I went through so much shit early on in those in those poor races that I had. Yeah, couldn't agree more. 
Um, so I think now for Dominic, he needs to figure out what he what he actually personally wants to do because he's pulled out before I think has destroyed him too much if it's 25, 30K and he's got another option to run a marathon in another month. Like I think he can pull that off or two months. But if he doesn't want to do that and doesn't want to commit to doing big workouts and stuff again and he does want to get on the track for some shorter races, that's his preference, um, he's got to make that decision. Like, mm. yeah, like what's what's accessible – What's he going to get his kicks out of, his excitement out of, what he wants to do? Maybe, you know, a couple of marathons have gone bad previous to this one, and it's like, nah, maybe just step away from it for a couple of years or six months, 12 months even. But, um, yeah, well, totally, can you, totally up can to you his think, preference. Can you think of an example where this has gone really well for somebody? Yeah, Liam, Outside yeah, Liam Adams. Liam Adams, Sarah Hall. They're yeah. the only two that I can think of. Yeah, Liam Adams did it when he was trying to qualify for the Olympics, didn't he? Went to Lake Biwa, pulled out 25 30k like and that's a situation where he wasn't going to get the time so so he's only damaging his chances of then getting the time at another race went to warsaw didn't he yeah poland and then got the time but if he he still didn't run that well though but he got but he did what he had to do yeah yeah but this is an example of like him going and running a pb there yeah yeah well, well, this question comes back to, like, like what you said, Moose, is, is 100% correct. Like, commit to the race. So if you're having a shit day, like, don't pull out in the first place unless you're injured, obviously. But the question is, this, this has already happened now, so you can't go back and change that. And as Brady said, like, if you run 25 to 30K at marathon pace and you pull out at that point, like, physically you would be able to back up in one to two months. But it comes down to, I know so many people that when they commit to a marathon block, like, not only is it physically demanding, but it's also mentally demanding. So if you can't then get yourself back up to do another however many weeks of marathon training, then you're better off just canning it and doing some shorter shorter races and then building up for another one in six months. That yeah. would be my advice. And you're not just recovering from that maybe 25, 30K of the marathon. you also got to respect the last 10 or 12 weeks of the marathon build-up. Like if you're then going to drag that marathon prep on for another four, six, eight weeks – it's getting dangerous. You're getting tired. You're getting, yeah. But I think it comes back to personal preference. What do you want to do? What's going to get you excited? That's what you want to be training for. Thanks, Dominic. Long-time supporter of the Inside Running Podcast. I, th- I think that I think he should take time off and focus on shorter races, like he said. Even not... Get into the should... 1500s. Yeah, some spikes off. Yeah. Get the elbows out. Chuck <laughs> them into a couple of 14-year-old kids in the D race or something. That's, that's what you're going to be doing. What are you saying is in the D race for? Oh, I was just comparing him to what I'll be doing this summer, Vic Miles Club, I reckon. A bit of D oh, race stuff true. going on. Well saved. Well saved. Uh, Moose on the Loose, Purge of the Week. Um, Moose on the Loose. Um, oh. Oh, I just. Oh, okay. All right. Um, you know, some of the best. Like, what? Tell me. I'm going to ask you a question, actually. I'm going to ask you a question, Brad and Brady. What makes a good running coach? So I want to hear, I want to hear five traits of a good running coach. No, three traits. Your top three traits, or um, not, not traits. Traits isn't the world best. Traits and skills. Traits and skills. Well, I'll throw one up there. Like the first one is like genuine. Like genuinely cares for that athlete and wants to, I guess, do what's right by them. Can, yeah. Like, so can I add empathy to that? Like you got to understand the person and be able empathy to is your, pretty good. Put empathy yourself in their shoes and and yeah. and care for them. Yeah, I agree, Croaks. I reckon those two are together. 
Um, communication. Good one. And you got to have knowledge around building a program that's safe for the athlete. Chuck some more terms out. Um, Experience. What do you think as a coach? Well, I was having this conversation with Carly last night as well because there's been some successful coaches who have never run themselves. But then... No, I don't mean running. I mean experience as a coach. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, that's Yeah, that's what I was about to say. And sometimes like they're more scientific. Their knowledge yes. might be higher scientifically of what it makes to be a running coach, but, but then they make up for their lack of experience as maybe an athlete or past athlete themselves. The straight out of uni sports scientist is what you're thinking. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then, but then yep. maybe has, has trialed and errored stuff for, you know, five, ten years. I think another, another one I've got is like w- willingness to learn and um, adapt and change. Mm. Yeah, um, definitely. Because I, I think there's a lot of coaches out there that, are just very stuck in, well, this is what I've yeah. done for however many no years and I'm not going to change it. Even like if, a flexibility. Even yeah. if science has changed like, or if science has, you know, come up with like, you know, new technology or new ways to train and it's been proven that that's, you yeah. know, beneficial. You've got to be approachable as well. Like if you never want an athlete sitting there going, oh, I'm not sure if this is the right thing for me, but they're too afraid to approach their coach. Yeah. Got to be open, like yeah, an open book. open book and like, it, but yeah, so you've got to, and that comes back to that personal relationship as well, where you've got to share a bit of your personality with the athlete as well so they know how you operate and you know how they operate. And I guess that comes back to the communication as well. Yeah, and, right. the, and on the communication as well, like an ability to, um, uh, I don't know, instill confidence in the athlete, mm. um, which, yeah, like, because I reckon there's a lot of times that physically you could be in the best shape of your life but if you don't believe it yourself and you're not in the right headspace, then it doesn't matter how fit you are, you're never going to achieve the result. So a coach that can really make you believe that you're capable of doing it. And they've also got to believe in the program. So what about... Jeez, we've got a few here, but we're one What about honesty? Honesty? Yep. To be honest with the athlete, have a, an open dialogue. Yep. Which comes into that communication stuff. Well, it comes it? into the. I mean, it comes into the first one. It's like if you if you genuinely care about the athlete, then you're going to be on. No, you can care about the athlete and just say things to them that make them happy. But I don't think that's caring about the athlete. No, it isn't. No bullshit. If if say an athlete comes to you and goes, "Hey, I really like love to run this race, and I think I want to do it, and then I want to do this race, and then you want to do it that race," and they're like, "I really love to do these." If I can care about that athlete and say, yeah, okay, let's do all this because this is for you and it make you happy and everyone's lovely and it's great. Whereas like a, a good coach might say, okay, we're doing this, right? Like you want to pick one of these races that you really want to do and we'll make the other one, like we'll decide on the other one and you probably can't do it. Um, that's being honest. That's caring for the athlete still. Uh, but... It's, it's not being like overly just like uh, soft with them, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it and does like- depend on what the athlete wants to do though. Like if it's someone who gets their kicks out of doing a lot of races and fun runs and all those kind of things and maybe the performance side isn't there. So you can be honest and say, hey, look, if you focus on one out of these five races, it's going to be better for your performance. But if you're going to have a better life and enjoy running more by doing all this, that's going to be the better option. 
Yeah, but they've got a coach. They want to focus on that. Yeah, I suppose. Why, why would they have a coach if they just wanted to go out there and do whatever they wanted? Yeah. That's not that's not the point. But that is where the balance and the communication sometimes comes in, isn't it? Because someone might want to do these things. You know, you know, the honest answer is it's best that you do it this way, but then how do you keep them enthusiastic and encourage them without just chopping down all yeah. their race goals coming up? And especially when our races are returning like not so much in Australia, but overseas, like a lot of people want to take this opportunity to do as many races as possible. Yeah, yeah. Where's yep. the moose on the loose coming, though? Yeah. No, <laughs> where are we? This is the biggest bill Have we done ever. okay? I thought this, are we, are we, uh, I feel like I'm going for a job interview. Scribbling well, there's down. a lot of coaches out there these days. Oh, mate, what coaches. about online run coaching? Ever since Run to PB started, there's been about four million yeah, as we start. The we o- were well before No, you <laughs> were not. The, o- hey. the OG, Run to PB. Hey, hey. Oh, I could t- I'll tell you something offline, actually. You got some good news about that, actually. So what's the, so what's the moose on the loose? No, no, this was just my too thing. Too many like, online coaches. Uh, I'm not saying that there's too many. Too many I'm not at all. the OGs. No, no, I'm just saying, like, I'm just trying to give a little bit of a guide, maybe, for someone out there deciding on a coach. And I thought maybe you boys could put in some, put your two cents in about sort of, um, what you are looking for in a in a coach? Um, I reckon I know where he's going here, Croaks, don't you? No, oh, how? Where? <laughs> no, I don't say anymore. Um, I don't know what you're talking about. No, neither do I'm, I. I'm genuinely I just, like, to, I just want to watch Squid Game, mate. Just get off air, watch the last episode of Squid Game. You've been watching that on Netflix? Oh uh, no, I haven't. Watch, did you watch clickbait? No. Do you guys you been watching anything? You watched Ted Lasso yet, Crocs? I've been telling you about no. that weeks ago. <laughs> no, I haven't yet. God, you guys have kids and everything. Yeah, I told you. They go to bed and yeah. sleep for 12 hours Jeez, every night. You go run. Yeah, I'd go to bed without a snoo. If only you could <laughs> get a job. <laughs> I would job. Right. Anyway, back to work today. So your so you moose on the loose is basically just beware of coaches. Like, make sure you're getting a coach that's got all of those attributes no i'm not saying that either i'm just saying that (laughs) when you decide on a coach prioritize what you want and like the sort of thing that you um the sort of qualities that you you would want from a coach um so for me like i would want just full i might want something very different from what you want you guys i would want someone who's just totally no bullshit i don't need a motivator i need I need someone to just tell me exactly how it is, pull me up whenever I'm messing up, um, give me straight answers. I want no bullshit. I and, disagree, Moose. I reckon you want a coach that you can basically bully and say, no, I'm not doing that, I'm doing this. Yeah. I would not have a coach if I did that. <laughs> I would I would realise this is stupid. Isn't I, I had is a coach. Ali still your Ali. coach? Well, she, she basically Saka. is because she, she's my physio getting me back. And she she's too soft. Like, Who's going to be your coach? When you um when you get back rolling, Ali will be. I've got a waiting uh, list applied at the moment. If you want to put put your name down, it's on the yeah. website. Waiting list applies. I'll get you. Andy Buchanan's got one spot though. Are you, you going to give me my? Are you just going to give me the old programs that I used to give you? Pretty much, yeah. With a bit of traffic, special just, spice in there. He'll just throw a random heart rate out and say, "Don't go above this for your easy <laughs> keep, run." Keep it under one thirty on easy days. <laughs> this threshold is going to be at one seventy one. Get, get you on the twenty nine thirty sixty five program. That's the Archie one. No, Ali's a very good coach, but Ali's too nice. And and I'm going to tell her, like, you just got to, like, don't, I don't want to feel good. I just want to feel good about the answer. You tell me the answer that you, that I should do because she gets it all right. Like, I run with her. 
train with her so much. Like we were in a training camp together. At the end of that, I'm like, this girl knows so much about running. Like I want her to coach me again. Um, but I don't want it to be in like a friend relationship. I want I want a coach athlete relationship where she just says, hey, this you got to do this. It's messy say, though with oh, you and Ellie though, because you're her coach, she's your coach. Like you're living in the same town. Like you're good how's friends. That it's just there's How's so that, many different like tangle webs going on here. You just need coach, athlete, bang. Exactly. Coach, athlete, bang. Yeah, but then you're uh, also her coach, athlete, and then she's also your physio, and then you're good friends of her, and then she's – it's too much. Having a, that, no, would do, it isn't, that would do my head in. Yeah, well, lucky – I'll get Andy Buchanan to Lucky you and Archie aren't mates and you don't live in the same town. As long as he's got a flow track subscription, that's about the only thing. He's pretty good. He's got that flow track. It's complicated, isn't it, Crocs? Well – I think as an athlete, you, you need to have complete faith and trust in your coach and the, the, the training that you're doing is going to get you the results because I reckon there's a lot of times when an athlete will be coached by somebody and as soon as they start sort of questioning the program as to, like, I don't mm. know why I'm doing this, mm. I, I don't think this is actually, like, personally, I wouldn't, if I was coaching myself, I wouldn't do this. Like, I think once you start questioning whether you're doing the right thing, then it starts to go downhill. Even even if the coach is giving you the right stuff, if you don't believe in it, you're yeah. never going to run well. It's got to be full buy-in, doesn't it? Full yeah. buy-in. Full buy-in. Put it out. Put it on the fridge. Shut up. Do it. Yeah, and that's you're right. I would have ran two twelve at Rotterdam. Yeah. I reckon if it didn't get cancelled, following Moose's program because I had complete buy-in, Brad. Just mm. did it. Ticked it off. <laughs> Because it comes, it comes back to the whole, and this, and this is also the mental side of running is that the coach could have physically got you into great shape, but if you deep down believe that you weren't doing the right type of training, even though you were, you're still not going to run well. Yeah. Because you're yeah. not in the right, right headspace. And you can have some horrid training, but total trust and buy-in, yeah. and it will work perfectly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's why a lot of those good coaches, like their athletes, speak so highly of them. Or actually, like, yeah. And sometimes they don't even have to be good coaches, but they have that buy-in. Well, you, as you yeah, as, as an external coach, you look at the stuff going on it's and like you're like, what in the hell? Yeah. yeah, why would this, this but is a terrible so idea. Um, the, I guess the athletes or the coaches to be a little, like, wary of are the ones with a lot of injured athletes in their stable to a degree because some of the very elite groups will push the limits to the absolute maximum and there'll always be casualty rates uh, but too many casualty rates and you know something's going wrong mm. yeah. Jeez, that was a messy moose on the loose but we got there it doesn't have to be a moose on the loose like sometimes we want to have conversations it was a team, was a team effort team tonight effort. Yeah, let's do more of that. I think people get more out of that than me like complaining about some mm. bullshit and then having someone call up and yell at me. I think it was a valuable, a valuable conversation. conversation. Mm. Yeah, I think we should do. I think we should add more value to this. Sometimes I listen to like Road to Nowhere. They talk absolute garbage, fucking ages. I'm like, you guys have some knowledge. You talk some. Like, I want to hear some. I want to hear some chat. I want to hear a chat from like one of the best half marathoners in the country and. And someone who went to the Olympics and and Nick Earl, like I want to I want to hear some I want hear some about value. The, you want to hear hear about the weather. Yeah, it, that's about yeah, but no, I like this that got out of hand. But sometimes I think like waffle. No one's interested in waffle. They want like we want good stuff. Yeah, 
we keep the train on the rails pretty well, don't we, I think? Anyway. Yeah, maybe, well, maybe. Started getting on a Netflix TV shows for a while there, Croaks. Uh, what's coming <laughs> up? Steve Monaghetti's coming up. Um, so this is the second part of the chat we had with him last week, Bradley. Uh, this is all about London Marathon, which we've just spoken about, was on yesterday. He came second there twice, both times, got beaten by three seconds. So that's pretty amazing. Just some good story time with Mona again. Thanks to all the people that wrote in last week um, with their comments about how much they enjoyed that. I know Bradley and I enjoyed it. So much talking to him. Um, so much value in the conversations, the stories he tells. What's going up in your life, Brad? Anything else to add there with Mona? No, that was great. Great couple of hours we got to spend with him. And I think the London one was where he actually goes into his uh, a bit of training philosophy, actually. Remember that I asked him that question because he did a lot of races in a short period in the last like six weeks before London. I'm like, that's sort of unheard of in, in today's marathoners. And so he sort of went into his training philosophy there, which was good. Yeah, we had um, him warmed up but, too after the Berlin chat. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, not too much this week. Just uh, hopefully a regular a regular sort of training week, two sessions, a midweek long run, probably do two hours again on Sunday, a um, bit of treatment on Thursday. Um, yeah, that's me. Moose, what are you doing? Keeping the baby alive? Yeah. yeah that's, on maternity leave? That, that's a good idea. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I'll still be on some emails and that, but I'm not going to the store. and uh, going to turn off the emails a little bit more than normal. Um, but, yeah, just be around, float around, take a lot of photos. Spam a lot of people. Yeah. Well, right. enjoy it, Moose. Yeah. Thank you. They just grew up so and fast. congratulations again. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, pass Thanks, on out. Congratulations to Bree. Yeah. All right, we'll fellas. Do. Talk to you next week. We're done. See you, guys. See, See ya. Bye. A bedrock of performance at the elite level, micronutrition has been an integral part of high-performance programs for years. Yet, Programs have made do with products that don't fit their needs for too long. Formulations produced for mass consumption without elite outcomes in mind. Pillar Performance exists to change that, bridging the gap between pharmaceutical medicine and sports nutrition. Built on decades of elite sporting research and providing purposely formulated products featuring clinical strength ingredients. Pillar is led by a revolutionary joint longevity formula, Motion Armor, designed to support joint mobility and flexibility and reduce cartilage breakdown, perfect for runners with a high training load. Founded and formulated by athletes, alongside some of the sharpest minds in nutritional science, Pillar has been created to specifically support the rigors of high-performing athletes, covering every micronutrient they require year-round. Pillar's range also features products for energy optimization, immunity, and muscle recovery. The growing micronutrition choice of endurance athletes and teams across the AFL and NRL Pillar Performance is now available in pharmacy, sports nutrition stores, and online at pillarperformance.com.au. Steve Monaghetti made his marathon debut at the 1986 Commonwealth Games, where he won bronze. Between then and 1989, he focused purely on major championship marathons, 
with a fourth place finish at the 1987 World Championships in Rome and fifth place finish at the 1988 Seoul Olympics. The 1989 London Marathon will be his first major city marathon. We'll be discussing this with the great man today, as well as the 1995 London Marathon. Welcome back to the Inside Running Podcast, Steve Monaghetti. Thanks for that nice intro, Croaks. Brady, how are we, guys? Good, thanks, Good. Uh, a couple Good. of th- A couple of things about this. So your first, what, three marathons, you don't finish worse than fifth. You must be thinking, wow, What's this? Uh, what's this tough marathon business about? <laughs> pretty, pretty oh, good uh, start. For, I thought that for the first one, I thought, oh, they just give out bronze medals when you turn up <laughs> at marathons. But um, and you know, two eleven eighteen for that Commonwealth Games. It was I only ever actually improved three minutes over my my whole life, so I didn't get much better. But I started, I set the bar a bit high. I should have ran a bit slower, shouldn't I? But um, was it was just yeah. It's funny how life turns out. I. I always wanted to be a marathon runner, but I obviously didn't think it would happen that easily and that quickly. And it, easily, you know, obviously I'd been running for, for about 12 years and, and in the lead up and doing lots of high mileage and, and becoming one of the best runners in Australia. So there was a lot of sort of work done behind the scenes. But that the first marathon's always the easiest marathon because you don't know how far and how hard it is. Um, so... That Commonwealth Games in 86 was significant, but it then obviously opened the door. You know, I got pre-selected to go to the World Championship. So I wanted to go, but it wasn't... It's funny, I I don't know whether we would have chosen to go. You know, it's funny because I was a 10K runner in 86, and and I think we probably thought I had a bit more track and speed to go before stepping out to the marathon. So it fast-tracked it, but I'm not sure if it was a good fast-track, but obviously it worked out okay, you know, and... Here I am at the Worlds and finished fourth there. And, and that fourth placing got me pre-selected to go to the Olympics in 88. So I didn't mean to run championships for those first three. But as it turns out, that was just how it sort of unfolded. And and then that fifth place at the um, Seoul Olympics obviously got interest from race promoters. And so that's where the city marathons um, became on the on the radar. And, um, you know, I'd always wonder, London was massive. In 89, it was building as one of the biggest marathons in the world. So for me to go there was, was a no-brainer, really. I was, um, I was excited to go. And, and the backstory for that was that I was teaching. So people wouldn't realise, but I, I'm an I'm a engineer and then I did a um, teaching diploma like you, Brady, and um, I was teaching at East High. And I was teaching year 11, or year, maths and science year 11, maths and science and um when i went to the world championships in 87 and the olympics in 88 so i wasn't working full-time i was on a 0.8 load and then a 0.6 load so two and three uh four and three days a week and still running at a pretty hot level so life was pretty busy and i remember when um stephen smith said oh look you've got an offer to go to the london marathon next year what do you think and i said oh well, yeah, I'm keen. Sounds great. I've always wanted to run London. It's a big event. And he said, oh, yeah, and then you know, they'll pay you $50,000 appearance money, I think it was. I said, what? <laughs> he said, oh, wow. Woo-hoo, happy days. And that, for me, was a real turning point because here I was. i do not sure what I was earning as a, as a teacher, probably about that or something around there. I always remember thinking, okay, well, here I am. Someone wants to pay me to travel around the world to run marathons pretty good compared to sitting teaching maths at East High and thinking well 
I can go back and do that. And while someone's happy to pay me to travel around the world, I'll do it. So, yep, Steve, we're going. And and, and I think you, you probably know the story of um, uh, the, it was the appearance money. Then there was the, the two airfares. So there was either um, one business class airfare or two economy airfares. And um, in 89, I said, oh, I'm not precious. No worries. Two, two economy airfares is fine. And so Stephen said, oh, well, now they want to know, who do you want to take? And I'm thinking, oh, well, do I take Tanya, my fiancé, soon-to-be wife? No, do I take my coach, Chris Wardle? He'd be important. No, do I take a few training buddies? Do I take my manager? No. So who do I take? Pete Howley, my physiotherapist, because he was so important in those last few weeks leading into a city marathon. He was my go-to person. So it was Pete Howley who and I that travelled over to that marathon. Um, well, he came over later. I was... I think I was at World Cross Country and um, and uh, in Stavanger, I think it must have been, that was always the last week in March and, and the marathon was mid-April, I think, so I had three weeks of filling. Mona, Surely... did, did, oh, did you have to um, convince Chris Wardlaw to do a big city marathon when the offer came in? Because I know he was all about doing the championship marathons early in your career. Yeah, I think he was he was okay. And, and let's be perfectly honest that... Stephen Smith came to me with the London Marathon offer. You know what? We never, he didn't come to me and say, you are running the London Marathon. And this was always the way we did it. I, Chris Wardlaw and I ultimately made the decision on which marathons I ran. So we were never dictated by the money. So if, if, if say, um, Stephen had to come and said, oh, look, we've also got an offer from uh, Boston, but it's not as much. And, and I had a rank, Chris, and, and we said, actually, Boston's a bigger race. If you win Boston, that's a bigger win than you would be winning the London Marathon. So we don't care about the money. We're going to Boston because that's how we did it. And we decided my races were always decided on what was best for me as a runner. And then we went back to Stephen and said, right, I get the deal done. And he was very good about that. So he never interfered with our running selection. And to Chris's credit, um, you know, we were, we were always decided, made decisions ultimately by agreement on what was best for my running career. So it wasn't, he was very happy by then because I'd been so good running those championships. He said, oh, no, mate, it's time for you to cash in and, and make some money. But more importantly, it's time for you to run a fast time because whilst I'd finished third at Commonwealth, fourth at the Worlds and fifth at the Olympics, I hadn't ran that fast. You know, I was 211. 212 and 211 I think in those three races so he said hey no now the thing we need to get you doing now is run fast so yep go to London it's a fast course great field perfect off you go yeah. well, clearly it all, it all worked out well given your uh, drinking Penfold Grange on Saturday yeah, <laughs> yeah indeed um, so just to set the scene so you went over to Europe Oh, well, maybe five or six weeks beforehand, you had World Cross Country Champs on the 19th of March. Then you raced uh, a 10K in Italy. The Was it Cinque Milani? Cinque Milani, yeah. Yeah, Milani. And then you had the week after that another 9.6K in Loza di Cador. Lozzo di Cador. Do you want to know that story? That's a good story. Sorry to... to yeah, to, go on. Um, to, um, derailed you but talking about derailing so 
Peter Brett, who's really good um, distance runner, was travelling with me. We and we so went to Cinque Malini, and uh, which is a massive race, race through people's houses in Italy. It's still run out. It's one of the great, great cross country races. And um, anyway, I'd also got an invite to go up to this race up in the um, in the Italian Alps, and we had a train fare to get there. And so anyway, Breddy and myself, and I'm not sure it might have been Adam Hall. There's another guy with us anyway. We're on the train. Breddy's world traveller. So he didn't have to worry. Breddy just, he organised everything. He's been travelling the world for years. So set and forget with Breddy. Anyway, we sneak up into a, um, a, the first class in the sleepers carry. So we shouldn't have. So we snuck up there and we um, we jump in and have a bit of a snooze in, in a carriage up there. And uh, anyway, halfway through the night, heard this bit of a... Thought nothing of it and back to sleep. And um, anyway, we woke up in the morning and, and Breddy, we're walking out, just thinking about getting something to eat. And we come along this map. And Brady looks outside and he goes, not a lot of mountains and, and Alps. It's pretty flat barren here. And he looks at the map and he, he sees that the train split and one was going to the Italian Alps and one side was going to the Czechoslovakian border. I think we're on the Czechoslovakian border. So anyway, I think, oh, shit, we're going to miss the race. We're going, what's going on? So he thought, what are we going to do? So he said, oh, mate, come on, grab your bags. Got to get off. Got to get off the bloody train. So next station we get off. And it's this two bits at no no station, nothing there. We got off. We look up the train line one way, nothing down the train. It was like a scene from a Western movie, you know, Clint Eastwood getting off the train. And here we are in the middle of nowhere. So we jump on the next train, get to a bigger city, and um, and, and no one there speaking English. So we go to the phone box, and I ring this bloke from Lotto de Cadori Race, and he doesn't speak English. We're going, train, station, so... Pick us up. We, said, we're going to get bus to the anyway. So finally, we get on a bus. We go up into the, the. We get there at like nine o'clock at night, the night before the race. And the guy, it was like we were his long lost sons. He came running up to us yeah. at the bus station, grabbed us, hugged us, and anyway, finally, so we we uh, made it. Ran that race the next. I think I was second to Moses Tanui in Correct. the race. Yep. And, um, yeah, and it was a great race, and um, so it was just a country event, but it was a fantastic event, and um, yeah, so that was the, the lead-up. Yeah. So the only reason I bring that up, like, you know, as, as we know now, like when people sort of train for a marathon or commit, there's all of these, like, long marathon sessions, and so racing three times within the last six weeks before a marathon is pretty uncommon these days. Was that was that something that you did a lot of, like, you know, racing a lot in that last six weeks, and how did you balance racing with preparing for a major city marathon? Craig, how long have we got? This is a long conversation. <laughs> as as long as you like, want. Your time is more valuable than ours. And you know, my philosophy is you train hard, but you do short, sharp races to bring you up. And, and I always have the theory, you know, I was one of the best um, 5K runners in Australia, you know, and I, I won a few Australian 10K titles. I was a great cross-country runner. So I'm, I'm a really good distance runner or was a really good distance runner, not specifically just a marathon runner. And I'm really proud of that. And what it did do, because I think if you train, if you spend all of your life training for a marathon, you're going to be sorely disappointed because you're not going to be able to run well at all of them. You might get somewhere you crack it. You might get somewhere you go, okay, you know, I had, I had 22 marathons, only one three of them I think you know one in seven so you're not going to win that many races you're not going to have great marathons so if you spend your whole life training to run a marathon if you have a good one well that's fine but it's still taking you six months if you have a bad one 
you know, you've got 12 months before you're going to get it again. So, you know, it's a really difficult situation. So for me, don't just revolve your life around marathon running. Revolve it around being distance runner, having other races along the way. And some people will run half marathon PBs in their marathon prep or they'll win a cross-country race or run really well in a fun run. Absolutely fantastic. That's exactly what you want to be doing because it's so important that you maximise your running training by having these other little bits of um, uh, success along the way. And also, you know, I like to focus on differential. So the quicker you are over the shorter stuff, the bigger your differential, so the more cruisy you will be at your marathon pace. So that's the difference in my training. So I loved having all of those other races. And I'd just freshen up, run the race, knew I was in good shape because I'd run a good race. So I didn't have to train that hard in between. I was just ticking it off in between. And that race prep in the over shorter distance was great lead up for me. You made a good point. And we actually spoke about your training a couple of episodes ago where what what you did week in week out was very sustainable you know your sessions weren't super long you know you're doing two and a half hours on a sunday but not you know none of these like 30k at marathon pace which really knocks you around so you know racing within a training week was always quite sustainable which is not sustainable when you're putting all your eggs into that marathon prep that's right and that's that's my theory you know without you know i coach a bit now with it you know my philosophy it's pretty simple you do enough long, slow mileage to be tired, and 200 k's a week will do that for you. And then you just have these little spurts of quicker stuff. So you've got that's your fast running at quicker than marathon pace. So you know I was running sort of 250 k pace, so really fast sessions. And that that speed in little doses rolled on top of being fatigued from all the other training is the perfect combination for for marathon running and distance running. The problem is now a lot of people don't haven't got the patience to be bored by running 200 k's a week and 183 k of my training was just long slow mileage just running around with you guys having a chat talking shit in the bush you know that's kind of what we do and i love that i still love that now but that other 17 k was really the quality off the tiredness that allowed me to get used to buffering fatigue and, and being able to absorb fatigue and still hold my pace and run at a high level and that's the philosophy of my training basically and you know i've had to adapt that you know i wrote a wrote a marathon program the other day that was i think the highest weekly mileage was 90k you know and that that's just doesn't sit well for me but it's what normal people do now you know and i've got to got to adapt to that it's not what you know i want everyone to run 200ks a week and put their life on hold but that's not (laughs) realistic i understand that now and i was fortunate that i had that situation that that was my lifestyle as a professional athlete and i could do that Mono, back to yeah, London. Um, yeah, it sounds like Dave Bedford put a really good field together and you kind of enjoyed your time settling there in Richmond and running around Richmond Park and kind of associating with the people who organised the race. I think their offices were across the road from where you stayed. Yeah, it was incredible to look back now, boys. And I don't want to, again, it sounds like it's another bloody era and another history lesson. But, you know, I'd ran the World Cross Country and finished uh, fourth in Stavanger, the highest, I think it's still the highest, male position you know i was fortunate enough to see benita win but from male we no one's finished higher than fourth and so i was in really good shape but i had a few weeks to fill in because it was a bit early and i wasn't going to fly home and fly back so i stayed at um richmond hotel just across from richmond park and back then the um, marathon office london marathon office was at richmond gate so just across the road from the hotel and two stories and dave bedford was down 
upstairs and Chris Brasher was upstairs. They didn't get on all that well, but they ran the race. They organised it. And so they had a couple of other staff in there. And I'd, I'd go for a bit of a run. Wasn't doing too much. So I'd wander across there. I actually was licking the envelopes and putting the putting the numbers into into envelopes and sending them off to participants and having a bit of a helping helping out. I got to know the guys really well. They became friends friends of mine. I remember we went to I think we went to Wembley Stadium to watch a, a soccer one of the one of the big soccer games as well over there. So they looked after me really well. I loved my time there and running around Richmond Park. Oh, how good was that? And um, so that was me, and I was sort of the only person there, so you know, I wandered across and filled in my days helping out, seeing how a marathon event was organised, and that was just, it was pretty low-key back then. You know, I'm not sure, they probably had, only had about ten or 12,000 people running, I think, and wasn't as big an event, but then we moved in, so that was all good, happy days, I'd recovered pretty well. Pete Howley and another physio mate from here in Ballarat, Charlie Flynn, flew in, and Tanya flew in, so we sort of had the group coming coming together and we moved into the tower hotel then it got serious once we moved into the tower hotel and you know there's, there's douglas wakari in the next room go down for brekkie and there's sala and and anyway i remember um the, the the other story you probably you'll get to this story but channel 10 were doing the live coverage of it and it was a big event big thing for them to send a whole crew over to cover this london marathon and and a young um fresh-faced journalist was doing the coverage by the name of Bruce McAvaney, who's become famous now, obviously, but he wasn't that big a name then. Anyway, um, Lisa Ondiecki was running the women's race. Deke was running the men's race. So they were safe. That was happy days for them because they've got these superstars running. They knew thousands of Australians were going to be paying attention. Anyway, about, I think it was a couple of months out, Lisa uh, got injured. So she rings up Bruce and says, oh, just letting you know, I've got an injury, won't be running a London Marathon. Bruce goes, oh, that's fine, it's no worries, we've got Deke, so it's all good. Anyway, in, I think it was about the Tuesday, we did a um, sort of a photo call, and I remember doing the photo call and the press, and there was, this was just a who's who of marathon running across the world, you know, Ethiopians, Kenyans, um, Europeans, um, and then Deke, and then this little kid on the end, Steve Monaghetti, who was just some young upstart who, who no one knew and no one wanted to talk to. Anyway, at the end of the press conference, um, um, Deke, I saw Deke just chatting away. And um, anyway, just as we finish, Bruce comes over and he goes, um, oh, look, I've just heard um, Rob's, Rob's got patella tendonitis. He's, he's probably not going to be running on the weekend. And um, so no pressure, but it'd be really good if you can run okay <laughs> because we've got we've spent all this money getting this crew over here. We're covering, we're carrying this event and you're the only Australian of note in it now. We'd be really happy you could run very well. So Bruce McAvaney became very friendly with me. He's ringing me every day, making sure I was okay. And that started a friendship that's lasted, you know, a very long time. So that was kind of the, the backstory. And I was just this young kid who probably wasn't, you know, really all that well known. And I didn't think I deserved to be there, to be honest. So was I was a very nervous young kid turning up at my first city marathon with all these superstars. And the whole, the whole stuff around the event, you know, the press conference, the wheeling out of all these runners, the photo shoots. The, I just wasn't, I, I kind of hadn't got in, into this sort of circus. So this was my first experience of being a superstar. And it was, it was just an amazing experience to be a part of. And Tower Hotel and, you know, all the history that was wrapped up in the London Marathon. And, you know, here I am being a part of all of that and hopefully getting on the start line and being able to run okay. 
And, um, and, and to go with the pressure that Bruce put on you, like things weren't sort of smooth sailing in the lead up. So, you know, Tanya's fa- father had passed away like a few weeks earlier and you had that dilemma of should I go home to be there for the funeral and potentially not run London? And then um, what third, like four, three days before the race, you strain your calf doing some 200s because you trained a little bit earlier than normal so you could go and watch the cricket. So you had a few, few, issues, few things going on. Yeah, I did. And that, obviously, you know, Tanya's dad um, dying was really tough. And I still, to this day, you know, I've done a couple of, um, um, you know, mental health's a big thing now. And I've got to say, you know, and without sort of getting serious, you know, it's something I've always sort of carried with me a little bit. I was a bit selfish. And, you know, I, I kind of thought at the time, you know, I was focused and I wanted to run well and it was going to set us up for life. And it was going to be, you know, we were getting married later that year. So it was all of that. There was reasons why, but it was just really tough circumstances. And in the end, we Tanya brought her mum over with us. So, you know, I wasn't there. And to this day, I regret, you know, I wasn't there for her, for Tanya's dad's funeral. And, you know, I got on really well with Frank. He was just a legend. And, you know, so that disappoints me and I carry that with me now. And, you know, you dedicate the result of the race and the future that we've been able to get out of that to Frank. But, I wasn't there and that's just how it was. So it was a tough time and yeah, it's never, you know, you don't, it doesn't have on your t-shirt when you're on the start line. Feel sorry for me. I've had a tough week. You know, you want you on the start line, we're all equal and everyone has their, their situations that they deal with. And for me, it was, you know, it was a harsh reality, but you know, I think I delivered in, in what was very difficult circumstances. And that was just another layer of, you know, that um, the credit that I give myself that over those circumstances, I still was able to have a, a terrific run. And the calf strain, were you concerned by that? To be honest, I was concerned at the time, but looking back now, I've had a history, and this is this. I'm not. I'm not sure why this is not. I haven't. I haven't told this to too many people, so no, this could become a, come as a surprise. I used to get a lot of niggles in the week leading into big races. And I still get them now. And it's it's a weird... And yet, once the gun goes, they go away and I never have a problem with them. And even in Berlin, you know, I actually had a torn calf in Berlin a couple of years ago when you guys were there. And um, somehow I got through that race. And I, I'm not, I, I couldn't run... I couldn't run five minutes the day before. And, you know, I got through 42K in three and a half hours the next day. But um, there's something about... I, I don't know whether it was a mental thing for me that I would get a niggle... And it was my body's response to make sure that I freshened up and to distract me from the, the real nervousness and focus of the event that was coming up. So I had that really regular. And, and people, people, you know, Pete and all my training buddies would go, oh, there's nothing wrong with you, mate. This happens every time. I go, no, seriously, <laughs> it is real. I have a strained calf. Get an x-ray. I'll show you. I'll get an MRI. I'll tell you. It'll, it's really there. And then the race, the gun goes, and, and it's not a problem. So... It was a little bit of a, a concern, but as I said, maybe that's just how my body works. It's a distraction to take my mind off the race. Yeah. So you talk about this stuff. It didn't affect me, although the thing I think didn't affect me in the race, obviously. And the only thing people talk about now is the um, the missed drink station. That I can't even remember. I think was it 30 or 35K? One 35K. Seriously, 35. Yeah. See, I don't even remember. But this star-studded field model, like it sounds like you um, really were going in as a bit of an underdog. Like, did you not expect to be top two or three that day? Like, you were right in the race. We will share the result with the listeners now. Like, you did come second, just three seconds off the win. 
like in, in a in a deep field like this. But you're kind of selling a story at the moment that you kind of weren't expecting it. And I didn't. I, you know, I was um, even though I'd you know finished fifth at the Olympics the, the year before, I dropped off and I got back sort of to tenth and kind of ran through the field when a few guys got tired. So I never kind of felt like I was one of the best marathon runners in the world. And I seriously, the depth of that 89 field, and Dave Bedford assembled a field. He always wanted to get, you know, he'd love to get the Commonwealth champion, the European champion, the Olympic champion, the world champion, the the, the Mars champion. The, you know, he wanted to get everybody there. So it was always that when they rolled out the, the, the field before the event, you always felt, no matter who you were, boys, you know, you always felt like you didn't deserve to be there because that's how those press conferences roll. And for me, I was thinking, oh, geez, hopefully, you know, I just get through here and get a good run done and I'll be competitive in this field and they'll drag me through to a fast time. I never imagined that I would be splitting um, Olympic medalists, you know, the, the guys who were ahead of me. And I look back now and I think, well, I was actually fifth at the Olympics and the two guys that were in that race, they were only a couple of minutes ahead of me. And, you know, there's no reason why if I don't have a, a good run. I'm on the upper bit here, these guys. A lot of the people they roll out at press conferences and that I have at those races, they're guys who have built their reputation, guys or girls who have built their reputation. So the race itself's not where they're going to build their reputation. But for me, that's exactly what mm. that was. I'd never ran a city marathon. Who knew? I could have ran 2.6 that day. No one could deny the world record was 2.640 or something. I wasn't going to run that. But no one knew because I'd been running those championship races and being very competitive, you know. I was fourth at the world championships in 87, as we've spoken about. But at the, through 30K, I kicked away. I, I got a break on Wakahuri and, um, and Sala. I was going to win that, um, win the world championships in 87. So... I was one of the best marathon runners in the world. I just didn't know it or didn't believe it. So London was just a justification or a vindication of me actually running fast and being competitive as I had been in those championship marathons leading in. So I look back now and the result doesn't surprise me, but at the time it was a, it was a massive, massive surprise for me. And it sounds like it was a pretty calm race up until that 35K drink station, which... I think it was you went around a corner, then the drink station was there, and it was just a bit too tight and a bit of chaos through there. And Sala kind of put in the surge and got a bit of a gap. Yeah, and then, interestingly, they moved the drink station. It was on the wrong side of the road and around, like you said, just around the bend. So after that, they realised it wasn't a great location for that drink station. Whilst the course doesn't go there anymore, um, they they relocated that drink station for that reason that it came on us a bit quickly, and I, I just missed it and. Didn't really affect me too much. Sometimes, you know, there's a lot happens at drink stations, and I, I often get annoyed when TVs, you know, they, the directors cut away going into a drink station because that's where it all happens. Mm. You get a real feel for how people are looking. And the great thing for me was, you know, I had that sort of, I had to stop and get my drink, and, and they made a break because Sailor didn't go in and get a drink, so he took off. But I closed them down really quickly out of that drink station. So it showed that I was travelling pretty well. So for me, it was a kind of almost a confidence booster. I panicked a bit, but once I got back on, I'm thinking, well, geez, I'm going okay here. You know, they tried to break me and I got back on pretty easily. And then this finish, like reading it, it sounds like an epic race. Three of you guys together across the road, 400, 500 metres to go. Talk us through that last half a K. Oh, it was amazing. And, you know, finished sort of on Westminster Bridge back then in front of Big Ben. And um, I remember sort of, you know, I was just worried about sort of, um, you know, um, 
getting rid of him a long way out and suddenly it came down to the three of us and I was just hanging on and hanging on and and um, we turned and, and over the bridge and sort of a little uphill but I remember Sala who who um, who always thought he deserved to win every race and had a chip <laughs> on his shoulder and was the you know he's not the not not the best conversationalist I've ever met he's probably not on my Christmas card this would be fair to say and so he obviously thought he was the best runner and was going to win and I think he got a bit frustrated that he couldn't break us so he went first about 400 metres out and um, and um, sort of hit the front and I for some reason I don't outkick too many people but I went around him and, and so I made the second move and um, thought here we go you know I'm going to uh, I'm going to get this done and then a couple of hundred metres out obviously Douglas Wakahuri who was fast and you know when he won the Worlds in 87 was um Silver in '88 and or bronze was he? Silver in one of those, and so and then he's always had a really strong finish. So he's kicked over top of both of us, and we've all sprinted to the line. And he was 20903, I was 20906, and and Sala was 20909. So an unbelievable finish. And up until then, marathon races weren't those sort of sprint finishes. This was a really unusual thing to have such a close race and commentators were going berserk obviously because they didn't know who was going to win just like we didn't so it was a massive finish and you see the shot of us you know Wakahuri magnificent looking runner me pretty ugly sort of all arms <laughs> and then Sala who's got no knee lift it was a classic and, and coming across Westminster Bridge with Big Ben behind us it's a, it's a money shot I mean they've got a great finish now but it was still pretty bloody good back then and and I do remember that the, my my great memory of that was crossing the finish line and um, I was a bit sort of naive. I wasn't really a media savvy. And I remember they threw the the, the, um, the sort of the shiny paper wrap over you to, or um, material wrap over you to keep you warm because it's pretty cool. And we went over and they took us over into a room and, and there was media stuff there. And I remember some Australian, I think it was Channel 10, came up to me and sort of stuck a microphone under my nose and sort of was starting to interview me and he sort of said oh Mona you know great run yeah how did it feel and I just quickly said to him oh yeah well how did it look mate I started questioning him back and he's kind of he's taken a bit of back he kind of didn't know what to, hey no no I'm asking the questions he said I was pretty naive and just said oh how did it look mate you know I, I thought I ran pretty well do you think it looked okay it was just really <laughs> bizarre that suddenly I was I was kind of famous this was you know this was was a massive event for me and for to 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 be able to split those olympic medalists um certainly put me on the world stage and you know my credibility i'd ran obviously ran fast you know 20906 was i don't know what was it was it the probably there was deke and um Derek clayton was mm. i don't know i might have been next was i think after that so i suddenly you know i'd, I'd sort of probably um delivered on the ability and expectation of um of um, where I should be and what I should do, and and it was just a great result. I, now I look back now, you know they invite the winners back every year, so I'm disappointed because you know I was second twice. So <laughs> three seconds, three seconds is a long way when you when you you know what was I? I was first loser. Yeah, well you were three seconds when you come second in '95 again. Like it's three seconds isn't mm. a lot of time, and you you nearly got it, but not too many people can say they've come second at the London Marathon twice. You know, with a combined difference of six seconds. Yeah, and people don't really know that. They kind of they say, "Oh, you know, did you did you?" They only want to know what marathons you know that I won. And for me, and that '95 race was unbelievable because um, 
Pinto had kicked away. And mm. when you talk about that drink station through the Tower Hotel, you know, we used to run sort of through the cobblestones and over through the um, the, the docks and come out through the Tower Hotel past where we were staying and, and we'd go under a couple of tunnels and um, and we and Pinto had kicked away and we were we were a minute behind at through that thirty five K drink station. So and what happened was um, Dean Isio Saran who'd I think he'd won the worlds, and um, he was the you know he'd, he'd run world half marathon world records like me as well. So he was the, he was probably the best marathon runner in the world. And I just sensed that he and I just thought, well, if we're going to go and catch this, we've got to go now. That five k, I reckon between thirty five and forty, it's probably one of the quickest five k's I've ever ran in my life. I reckon we, you know, we run. I reckon we ran under fifteen minutes. I think we're in the fourteens. We probably weren't, but I'm making it up. But <laughs> but we were who. And we, I remember running along beside the Thames and absolutely just smashing it. And we dropped everybody from the group. And Saron and me were almost sort of working together to pick Pinto up. And, and we just running down the road. And as the Ks were unfolding and we turned into, um, uh, what is it? The um, Birdcage Walk ran down to Buckingham Palace. And we finally we got him and we passed. It was sort of bad for me. I actually wish we had got Pinto a bit later. Because what happened was it gave Saron time to just relax. He knew he was going to outkick me. So we got Pinto before um, Buckingham Palace. So when we then turned at Buckingham Palace, it's, it's further than you think from Buckingham Palace down the mall to the finish line. And, and I kind of thought, oh, well, we're here. We're done. We're around Buckingham Palace. We've got, we've got um, Pinto. So I'm going to go. And Saron was, he knew he, he, he was ready and he just waited and waited and, and kicked away and won pretty comfortably again that three seconds and um i think i don't know what, what did i run two eight two oh eight thirty three yeah second fastest bloody, mm. yeah and at the time london wasn't that fast of course so for us to run that fast over there was was massive so um so that was i think that was pretty close to um my best marathon to be honest and you know obviously you know, Berlin was pretty good the next year, but that um, that on that course on that day on London, which is not super fast, the way we hooted home, finishing so strongly, I was beaten by a better runner on the day, but I think I ran a really bloody good race that day, one of my best. So was the pace just too hot early? Like we're talking about the ninety-five London here. When Pinto wasn't he just telling the pacemakers just like quicker, quicker, quicker? Like he just wanted to go out super hard. Yeah, exactly, and he. <laughs> He was in he for some reason he was just in in the shape of his life and he, he's a solid sort of guy but he'd come off some really good track and um, cross country races so he was really full of confidence and and wanted to go and I just sensed he was chafing at the bit to go so as it turns out he went a bit early because he, he he blew up and got tired that's why we caught him but we were running him down but he went and for him I, I still I look back now and I think why didn't we go with him because he must have just been um, you know really aggressive because we let him go and for him to get that far down the road ahead of us was amazing you think that you know why would two of the best runners in the world let him go get away by that much but that was just the shape he was in he was just you know he had no fear and he was going for it and um, you know we I, I seriously assume we weren't going to get him and we had to hightail it to to um, pick him up in the end. Um, yeah, so I've pretty much covered that. There was a story in the book. We know you've got a, uh, a sweet tooth. Tell us about eating 24 donuts <laughs> at the end of a dinner. Yeah. 
And that was Charlie Flynn still tells that story. So when the boys flew over um, and landed up at the Richmond Hotel, we um, we went down. We are looking for a, a cafe. So we went down just um, down around the corner um, and went to a cafe. And, and I, I don't know what we ordered, but um, we sort of had the main meal. And then they said, oh, do you reckon you'd be interested in the, in the dessert menu? And uh, sure enough, I said, yeah, yeah. Bloody hell, we, of course we are. We're, I'm training hard here. So we got these little, um, they were sort of little donuts. They weren't as big as what the donuts you think, and they're sort of little round donut balls. And I remember um, ordering them and ordering them. And Charlie and Pete Howley, still to this day, cannot believe how many of those bloody um, donuts I devoured. 24 would be probably pretty right. If it's in the book, it must have been right. So I was... Um, I, I love my, I still do now, you know, the Mars sponsorship and hmm. all that stuff. I still, I love my sweet food and chocolate. And that's one of the advantages. If you're running 200 Ks a week, you can eat what you like. <laughs> another thing in, another thing in the book, Mona, which you might be able to shed some light for us sort of younger listeners was that in the lead up to the 95 London, um, it had, so America's track and field magazine, had Saron as the world's number one marathoner, but Britain's mm-hmm. International Athletics magazine had you number one. So can you talk us through like these magazines and how they came up with the rankings? I'd like to if I could. For some reason, Americans never liked Australians and the Brits always did. So I always got a higher ranking in England. You know, I don't even track and field news. I never got a good run. You know, I don't even know. You know, I'd always would get the end of, end of year edition and look at the top 10. And I don't even know. I think I only just snuck in on a couple of occasions. So for some reason in America, unless you went to America and won a Boston or a Chicago or a New York, you know, I never ran New York or Chicago, but they didn't accept you or didn't credit you unless you done things in america so i'm not going to get stuck into americans but you know americans have the world world championships of everything so for them your credibility wasn't established until you ran well on american soil and you know i won i won the um which one the, the um lilac bloomsday classic but i didn't really you know i didn't run well in um marathons in in america in atlanta i was seventh i think at the olympics in boston i was 10th or 11th, so um, didn't have a great race there. So because I hadn't ran well on American soil, they didn't consider me at the level that I did. You know, I think my reputation, I was biggest in Japan because, geez, I delivered in Japan. Some of my great runs, you know, a couple of world half bests over there. The Ekidens that I ran there, you can ask any, guys, I'm not going to pump up my own tyres, but you ask anyone who were on Ekiden teams with me over there, you know, there's one run. And and still to this day, Haley Gebrselassie still... um, you know, um, says good day to me and respects me because he was he ran the five k league at one Ekid and we ran up there for Ethiopia and he smashed it. He had, I don't know who was running on his leg. Luckily not me, but he he got him off to a flyer and they were miles ahead. And on the last leg of the Ekid and up there was um, was a marathon distance and the last leg was always that twelve point one nine five k to finish the the marathon distance. And I'd always run that leg and was over a few hills and. And I caught the Ethiopian just outside the stadium and passed him and, and we beat the Ethiopian team. And Gebra Selassie could not believe that we beat him. So he's always had a respect for me from that run. Um, and so I had some amazing runs in Japan. And so that was where I ran best. But I also ran very well in, 
in England and, and Britain, you know, Scotland, England, the Great North Run, and then my London Marathon Run. So I was always well, well received in in England and Europe more so than in America. So I think that was kind of the... And that's fair. You know, they rank on, on what they see and, and I didn't have great results in America, I think. And Mona, when, like, you know, Berlin was yesterday, London's this weekend coming up, like, do you sit back and watch those with, like, special memories or you, you don't pay too much of an interest these days or what's the kind of perception now when you watch these races? I don't. I still watch them, but I don't... I don't think about um, my own performance. Although I must say, I looked at you know the Berlin results and thought, you know, actually, I, I would have been fourth and only I only would have been a K behind. That's as close as I've been in a while. I was, think, I was thinking that as well, actually. Put I'm some like, super yeah, shoes on. Super shoes on. I don't yeah, even want it. Super shoes, I'd be winning. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So you know, I don't really look back. I just I look at I love I, I love the events because they give they give we athletes an opportunity to run our best. So I know it, I know everyone thinks about how big they are and, you know, it's another event and they turn on the telly and they watch it, but the effort that the organisers go to to put on these city marathons, and we're seeing that now with COVID, you know, people obviously understand now, it's almost an indulgence for us to be able to stand on the start line at an event like that. And because I went over and I worked a bit in the London Marathon office and I got to know the Burley Marathon guys really well and, and you know, so I, I appreciate those events. So I love the fact that they're on. I never take them for granted. And, and uh, you know, I want people, I want the listeners out there to say, we all run, we all get on the start line. We do the best we can. We love what we do, but we're, we're given that opportunity because of the work that the race organisers do and to build up these events. And, and I've seen, you know, when I ran that world best for the half marathon in, in 1990 at the Great North Run, no one knew what half marathon world best was. And now I see how many people run the half marathon around the world and how big recreational running has become. And the fact we're doing this podcast, you know, and people are tuning in. It's just been such a delight. I used to be thought of as being crazy, this crazy <laughs> mad distance run. Now everyone's doing it. And it's just been such a fantastic journey for me to see so many, many people loving the passion that, that I have for running and they're, they're able to enjoy that passion themselves. So I look at those races and I see the, the, the work that goes in, the streets that we run past, the history that's involved with the races, the, the monuments that you pass. And all of those things, to me, make those events every year is unique, it's special. But the thing with the marathon is it, it's the race of human emotion. And I watch those races and I love seeing what's unfolding. Who's getting tired? Does someone go? And you can tell when I commentate on marathons, I'm excited. It's, it, you know, you want to see what's this human got? It's, it's man on man. It's woman on woman. What's going to happen here? How's it going to unfold? Who's going to go? Can they hang on? Are they fast? If they're not fast, who's going to kick? Who's going to outkick someone? Can Deke outkick Carlos Lopez like he did in 1983? He could not win that race, but he did. He found a way. And I just love seeing all of that emotion play out. You'll only get that true test of human emotion in watching marathons. And that's why they're so special. Well said, Mona. I've, I've just got one more question. It's not regards to marathons in, as such. It's more one thing I got from your book was just how much of a golden period it was, not in just Australian distance running, but just in Australian sport. And, like, you know, in the book you talk about, like, media – teams going over to cover these events and putting them on you know free to air tv back at home and like i remember so i was like nine ten you know during this sort of period but i still remember 
you know, the, the likes of Jeff Fenix, Jeff Fenix, you know, fights being put on live TV, Wayne Gardner, City to Surf being put on, um, more sponsorship money. Like, at what point did this, at what point did we go away from this? And do you think that Australians as a whole are, are less passionate about sport than what they used to be? Yeah, I've thought about it myself a few times, obviously braiding croaks over the years. And I think it's when when sport became professionalised. And I've, I've got to say, I was a, I, I benefited from that myself. But I think we were, when I, you know, I catch up with Pat Carroll and Troopy and, and Rowdy and Sean Quill and all the t- people we travelled away with. You know, we talk about, we just had a lot of fun. We were just normal people with real regular jobs. We'd get away and we'd, we'd just let our hair down. We'd do the best we possibly can in the race, but it wasn't the end of the world, you know? Nowadays, I think people have become professional athletes when they don't need to be, and the attention's probably got a lot on, oh, gee, I have to run well today, you know? And, and all the media's on what they do in the sport and in the event. And what I loved about the Paralympics recently was there were great stories, and, they, and they, the interviews afterwards... They weren't kind of going. Oh, I've got to be. Reg- I've got to do all the right thing here. I've got to be socially aware. They were just telling it like it is, and it was just so refreshing. And we were like that back then. I was just a normal bloke getting some media attention for a couple of hours on the tally and in an interview afterwards. But I was going home to my family, you know, my work. My I, I wasn't thinking that this was. I had to impress people at home. There was nothing of it. Was just natural. And I think now there's such a sort of a you know, a big industry around it now that it's kind of compromised a little bit the um, the outcomes for, for athletes. And, and back then it was pure and people appreciated that and loved it. And, and I look back at some of those memories and think, yep, it was a golden time because there wasn't as much sport available. It wasn't sanitised. It was just, it was what it was. It was just normal good, hard-working Australian people getting out doing the best they possibly could and everyone at home felt an empathy with them and felt like they were just like the person next door and they could relate to us and that personality has been something that I think we may have just sort of dragged out of our sports people a bit more now because it's become such a big industry. Like no, no doubt it helped that you, Deke and Lisa were like so competitive on the world stage but, but I just feel now that even if we had a world championship gold medalist in the marathon, I don't think Channel 10 or Channel 7 would show London Marathon live if they were running in it. We've just gone so far away from that. Shazam. They'd yeah, show the finish, show. wouldn't they? And they'd show the finish if they won. Well, yeah, on, on, the six, on the 6 o'clock news. <laughs> on the 6 o'clock news, and you might get it in the third story, but you wouldn't get the whole coverage and you wouldn't get the whole sort of backstory and all of that like like we did and it was more the personalities now it's the result and um as i say we i think we've yeah we've lost a little bit of that you guys are we're old school aren't we yeah we're we're reminiscing people don't want to hear us buddy buddy talking about the past but it's true no it is interesting because i listened to a um podcast yesterday with ben crow when i was out jogging and you referenced him a couple of yeah and you referenced him a couple of times in your book and he's of course kind of blown up a bit since uh that book was written in 96 but it's exactly what you're talking about. Like, we are not our results, and we are, you know, a human person first, and, and our family's still going to love us regardless of the result and all the pressure we put on ourselves. is just 
um, you know, expectations and stuff that we don't have to carry around and you've just done such a good job of summarising it. And then the final question for me would be about your current form. You fit? Going to see you in a Ballarat singlet next year. We didn't see you at all in the cross country this season. I was a bit worried. Ballarat's in a bit of trouble, I think. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's happened, boys, but I'm, I'm actually, and I'm touching lots of pieces of wood here, <laughs> but I've been running um, 70, 80, 90K, a couple of 90K weeks. And, um, I, you know, I'd retired six months ago because of that chronic calf, but I don't know what's happened. I'm, I'm back and I'm doing sessions with, the guys I ran a we ran a time trial with the boys. My son towed me up, he beat me, but I ran nine thirty two for three K. We had a tailwind around around halfway around Lake Wendery and Ash Watson ran about nine minutes and Berkey was just behind me, nine forty. So I'm actually going pretty well and did we did what did we do on Saturday? So three K in about ten twenty, five hundred jog, two K in six forty five or six forty. 500 jog, a K in 320, and then two 500s in 93 and 87. I reckon 87's Ooh. the quickest 500 I've ran in a bloody long time. But Ash Watson came past me like I was standing still. So, so I am 59. I've got to remember, I was 59, turned 59 yesterday, and probably, I don't want to scare people, but if I can hold this shape for 12 months and I'm 60, Oh, gee, if I'm running um, those sort of times, I'm probably going pretty well for a 60-year-old. I don't... God, 60. Doesn't that sound old? Yeah. God, your grandma... Your grand, uh, imagine these young guys running around with me and I'm, I'm, I'm hanging with them at 60. That's embarrassing. But no, I'm going okay and I'm loving getting back Good. running. And, you know, over COVID, it's been terrific to be able to exercise. And it's one thing that's kept me sane and, and kept me motivated. And we just need to get some races back back i think we're all missing that's why we had the time trial you know to have a bit of a blowout because we're all going well but we can't put it on the line you know i'm coaching people and i feel sorry for them because they're actually going really well but they haven't had a chance to um to show it yet because they just work so hard and no public races to show it so and i feel for race organized they've done it unbelievably tough you know we've had run for the kids and we haven't been able to run and stuff so It'd be great to get some some big events back, and hopefully, you know, I said at the end of 2020, I said bring on 2021. Well, yeah. now I'm bringing on 2022, and I'm hoping it's a hell of a lot better than the last 18 months has been. So, Mona, how has your last 18 months been? Because I'd imagine, you know, since you've given up competitive running, like you travel a lot around the country as ambassadors for events, and like I don't know how many events you'd go to throughout a year, but I'd imagine it's quite a lot. So, how have you been sort of spending your time with events, not having been on the last 18 months? I've got to be comfortable at home. But I miss going to all of those events and, you know, I do, I love the interaction with people and, you know, uh, so I've really missed that and hopefully we do get that back. But, you know, it's, it's it's a chance for me to transition out a little bit and let other, you know, I am, I've been around a long time. It's nice to see some younger people. And I would hope that, you know, there'd be another generation coming through that would be able to take that mantle and, um, you know, I'm happy to do it. But at some stage, you know, we need to um, realise that there's get some younger people through. We are talking 30, 40 years ago now, so it's a long time back. So, so I, a lot of Zoom calls. I've got very good at Zoom and Teams and bloody Skype and all that stuff now and, and sitting and getting comfortable at home. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a new world that we live in. It's made me appreciate the simple things in life. You know, I've still got some board positions and that, but it has allowed me... I, I, I really advised a lot of people. I didn't coach many and I've got... 15 or 16 people I'm coaching now that's one thing I did middle of last year I said I'm going to get back into some coaching and and geez I've enjoyed it. it's been fantastic to be able to 
give some hope and some direction to some athletes who um, are really doing what I used to do and can't do anymore. And it's so fulfilling to be able to pass on some of that um, information and grow together and see people really getting some terrific benefits out of um, out of running. So that's been one of the bonuses for me out of COVID. And life's pretty good, you know. I spent a bit more time at home, but um, yeah, um, I'm enjoying kicking back a little bit more and obviously being able to run and getting back running pretty well has just been really um, um, good for me as well. Awesome, Mona. Well, thank you so much for your time. I was thinking this would be, you know, two 25-minute kind of conversations and <laughs> capping those, uh, recapping those races, but we've kind of nearly been talking for two hours now. It's just been such a great trip down memory lane. And, um, yeah, I know, I know you listeners... had about 48 questions. You should have known you'd only need one with me and then I'd be able to fill and, and start going off on tangents. So it's been an absolute delight. It's been a delight. Like, there's so much in this book that we could easily do another three episodes. And like, how, Freddie, how lucky are we? We're basically doing book club. Yeah. And with the while, having the, while having the guy that the book's about online. So good. And it was like, I had dot points written out, and you would pretty much just tell the stories, matching up all the dot points before I could even ask a question. I'm like, this is just following <laughs> a perfect script here. This is amazing. So, and it's, and I said to Moose, like, you know, you don't get nervous when you talk to you because you're such a good public speaker and you're willing to share so much and it makes it really easy to have that conversation and kind of interview with because you're so, um, you know, forthcoming with your stories and you don't hold anything back, which is, yes, so good to listen to as well. Right. Oh, no, it's great to be on you guys. Congrats on all. It's been just a revelation over the last few years having you guys up and about and it's brought so much um, personality to, to the sport as well. It's been terrific. So thanks for having me on. It's been great, mate. I've enjoyed it, loved it. This episode of the Inside Running Podcast is brought to you by Pillar Performance, Australia's leaders in sports micronutrition. Head to pillarperformance.com.au to learn more about their formulations for joint longevity, recovery and energy.